please make some noise. The man that does the probably the best Carly Rae Jepsen impression in the world is Mr. Chris Hewitt! <laughs> Thanks, Darren. Who's Carly Rae Jepsen? <laughs> it's fine. I'm hip. I'm with it. Uh, all right. We have the theme tune, and we're about to hit the theme tune. Enjoy, everybody. Actually, on the Empire Podcast this week, we're live from Leeds! Oh, yes. Very exciting. Very good. You nailed it in rehearsal. Uh, you were better in rehearsal as well, quite frankly, but what can you do? Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, which is brought to you this week from Journalism and Media Week at Leeds Trinity University. Which is very exciting, yeah, absolutely. Because when you say journalism, you immediately think of the Empire podcast. <laughs> Tonight, we're gonna to be doing our podcast thang in front of an audience of lovely longtime listeners of the show. Yeah. Hooray! And people who have not a fucking clue who we are. Media students here at the Leeds Trinity, what's it called? Leeds Trinity University, Leeds Trinity University. I'll cut that out and make myself look good. It's all good. Uh, people who, quite frankly, want to take our jobs. Over the next five hours, we will do our best to dissuade you of that notion. The media is not for you. <laughs> it's not for anybody, quite frankly. Uh, but this is one of the eye for those who say we don't do podcasts outside London because the last time I checked, this was not London. Oh, yes. Then again, last time I checked, it wasn't fucking Leeds either. Where are we? Horse, horse, horsesham, horse, horseforth, horseforth, horsey, horse, there's a horse. Wherever it is, it's fucking remote. This is meant to be Leeds. My tauntaun froze before it reached the first marker tonight. But anyway, we are delighted to be here. And by we, of course, I mean me and my colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, you welcome Empire's resident geek queen, a woman who, when I asked her earlier on today for ideas for her intro, because quite frankly, I've been doing this for 12 years and I've run out of ideas. Uh, she said, oh, I don't know, uh, the Marvels, uh, something, something, I don't know, whatever. So. I don't know, the Marvels, something, something, I don't know, whatever, it's Helena Hara! Best intro ever! Whatever. <laughs> Helen, who is Carly Rae Jepsen? She's, she's a popular beat, beat artist. All right, did she play with the Beatles? Because I only know the Beatles. <laughs> I know you do. All She's right. like the Beatles. She's like the Beatles! She's very much In like that Beatles. two of her are dead. <laughs> In that Tom Hanks loves her music. Oh, that's nice. That's good. I assume that's he loves the Beatles. A much better answer than mine. Uh, next up is a man who, and this should come as a lesson to all of you who are seeking a career in media. 
Only disappointment will follow because this week he lost out on his dream job. You may think he's got his dream job already, but no. His dream job was Taylor Swift correspondent for USA Today. <laughs> but they gave it to someone else. Still, his loss is Taylor Swift's gain. <laughs> because he would have had to come within 50 yards of her. And that is legally not allowed. Will you please welcome our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer! <laughs> Hello, Chris. Hello, James. Do you know who Carly Rae Jepsen is? I, or is she like a, a Swifty rival? She's, she's like rival. a shit Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Yeah. oh. Whoa. <laughs> I've lost them already. What is what is Carly um, Carly Rae Jepsen? Do you know what? Do you know what? Is it you yeah. have seen Carly Rae Jepsen live? Have I? You absolutely have. But I let her go. Crucially. <laughs> when, life. When, did, uh, when did I see Carly so Rae Jepsen we had, we, This is absolutely true. We had, uh, back when our company was just spunking cash everywhere, they did a, an internal Bauer Awards thing, and Carly Rae Jepsen performed live in front of us all. Did she? And then so did the fucking All Saints, and they, oh! couldn't, and they couldn't remember the words to their songs, and it was kind of hilarious. In fairness, no one can remember the words the All Saints song. Accurate. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. I remember the All Saints. There you go. There we yeah. go. The All Saints. The, the All, All Saints. Saints. <laughs> Love the All Saints. An excellent accompaniment to the Carly Rae Jepsen. Yes. I'm hip. I'm with it. Yes. <laughs> meow, mix, meow, mix. Please deliver. Well, it's certainly a reference to <sighs> Austin Powers is definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's very hip. It's good. It's very hip. 1997's hottest comedy. <laughs> I've got the hot references. Anyway, anyway, forget these two wing nuts. Uh, we have a third colleague of such lethal cunning tonight who is actually also our amazing guest, but he has graciously agreed at gunpoint to sit through the show with us tonight. Uh, something he will regret, <laughs> I think. Uh, he is, frankly, one of the finest action directors on the planet. He is the mastermind behind films like the Raid, and The Raid 2, an Apostle, and he is a co-creator of Gangs of London, and he is the director of the upcoming Havoc, which will be on Netflix. He is the finest thing to come out of Wales since Ian Rush. He is the one, the only, Gareth Evans! <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, Garth. Had to be a Liverpool player you mentioned, right? <laughs> it did, yeah. But he started out as an Evertonian. He did? He did, yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> I, I have very uh, deep and intimate knowledge of which Liverpool players used to be Evertonians. Most of them, it seems. <laughs> but then they saw the light and they converted. Uh, how are you? Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, really good. Thank you for having me. It's oh, no, thanks for, thanks for coming. What, what are you up to at the moment? What are you doing? Apart from sitting with us idiots for the next couple of hours. Mostly that. Um, <laughs> no, it's been a little bit of downtime lately. So it's it's funny because uh, uh, i got nothing to sell. I just thought I'd come here and have a chat with you all. And, yeah. Gareth is stuff. genuinely doing that as the kindness of his heart. Uh, so he, he came along tonight. I said, would you come along? And he went, I've got nothing better to do. So so here he is. This is a, this is amazing. Uh, who here has seen? Yeah, absolutely. 
If you haven't seen The Raid and The Raid 2 in particular, oh my God, this man can direct action like like nobody's business. Who has seen The Raid and The Raid 2? All right, good. There's going to be Thank a you. Q&A session later on. That's meant to be for us, but I suspect will be for Gareth <laughs> as well. So if you have anything you want to ask him about those those films, uh, or Gangs of London, or Apostle, or Morantau, or, or you know anything at all, then give them to James, and he will deal with them. Uh, but in the meantime, let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the show, shall we? And uh, we're going to start off with movie news. We're going to mix it up uh, for live shows. We're going to finish with the Q&A. Uh, so let's talk about movie news. And in the last few weeks, every time we've done the movie news section, it's been truncated because I've started off each movie news section with what's happening with the actors' strike. It's still happening, and therefore there is no news, pretty much. But now there is news. The strike is over! The strike Yay! is over! And the good guys won! Yay! The studio has won? <laughs> That's amazing! <laughs> no. Uh, no, they, they finally got a, a, an offer this week, which I think dealt with most of the things, first of all, and this was the last best and final offer mm. from the studios. And then the actors pointed out the clause in the offer, which said, oh, we will still be allowed to use, you know, AI versions of your, of your face, even if you die. It's not going to be a problem, and we won't pay you for it. And, and we will uh, kill you so we can do it. Yeah, and that was the last sticking point, and, and the the actress said, yeah, no to that. And <laughs> um, and so the last, best, and final offer turned out to be, you know, last, best, and final, final, yes. you know, really this one offer, and then they came up with it. In the same way that, as I've said before, uh, Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter, was followed by was six followed more chapters. That, yes. Yeah, so very um, much like that. I have another topical reference in reaction to that. Oh, Go please. On. How about no, you crazy Dutch bastard? <laughs> that is from Austin Powers Go member 2002. It's in I'm the getting, century. I'm getting closer. <laughs> I'm getting closer. By the end of this podcast, I will have learned who Carly Jep Rayson is. <laughs> Don't you worry, you're in safe hands. Uh, Jimbo, what do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? Do you feel about this? I'm relieved. It's been like a century since this whole thing started. It's uh, been 87 it's, years. It's, it's been a very long time. And for those of us, uh, just to talk about the kind of a little bit, who try and interview people for a living, it's really fucking difficult. <laughs> when I go uh, in this bottle of water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just, what are really you doing? Struggling. Use your teeth. Use your, bite it off. Go on. I pick your part. <laughs> it's not that kind of All right, podcast. Buffalo Bill. Uh, <laughs> it puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> I'll get there. Um, yeah, no, this is this is this is a big relief. Not just because the good guys won, not just because because also it's fucking creepy, isn't it? That whole thing about yeah, no, okay, we'll pay you a living wage, but we own the rights to your fucking immortal soul on celluloid for all eternity. Yeah. But that's fine, apparently. Uh, yeah, it, it, slightly chilling. But you know, and I, again, I, the thing that kind of baffles me is that the same with the writers' strike. Like it was always going to end this way. Always, there was never any doubt. And yet they dragged it on for, was it 120 days? Mm. It's like, 19, and how much yeah. did it cost them? In billions? Well, it's, it, it reckons that, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's about 5 billion to the studios. And I, I saw like 6 billion to the just area of Los Angeles. I mean. Because if you think about it, it's literally things like um, people not getting their hair done and people not paying <laughs> for their dog walking and people, like literally everyone has been affected. Car, cab drivers and Uber drivers and people like that are, are have been hit by this strike because an entire industry has basically been out of work. Mm. Um, and so, and so yeah, look, the studios obviously thought that they had, you know, an economic reason to do this. And they, and they obviously thought they could get away with 
with the AI thing. I, I think it's because they were basically planning to essentially steal, scan the faces of like <laughs> background actors for a nominal fee, right? And then they would use them to populate This is the plot scenes. to face off too, by the way, but Probably actually. <laughs> and, and I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to be able to just use those faces and never have to think about it to populate a crowd scene or whatever. Um, and, mm. and you couldn't possibly like logistically check that all those people were still alive if you were trying to do that. Um, so I think that was why they wanted the death mm. rights, which is what I'm going <laughs> to call it. Um, so I assume, you know, I, there must have been some kind of thinking there. There must have been some process like that. You should still be paying people if you're, you know, using their face to make their, your product. Dr. Evil? <laughs> Did they they also didn't want... go to evil medical school, no. okay? They didn't even <laughs> spend the time there. They don't deserve to be a Dr. Evil. Do they also want sharks with frickin' lasers? <laughs> it would not surprise me. Claws also got struck. I don't know. Are you feeling relieved? Yeah, uh, yeah um, massively relieved. Mainly because we can all go back to work again, which is like a huge relief for a lot of people. But also, it's that thing of what didn't get talked about enough was the ripple effect of the strikes, not just over in the US, but also over here in the UK. Because so many productions, I know so many crew members I've worked with in the past on whether it was gangs or whether it was on Havoc. Um, who have just been out of work because so many projects just shut down. Everything just shut down because so much of it was reliant on U.S. talent as well. So once SAG strike started, then everything shut down. And loads of people have been, you know, it's like I know, you know, keep in touch with a lot of the crew and they've all been talking about the same thing of like their concerns, their worries about, you know, Christmas is coming up, the end of the year, and they haven't worked for months. So, yeah, mm -hmm. the fact that it's over now and that people can actually, you know, some of these projects will kickstart and ramp up now and back into production maybe at least gives five weeks of work before the holidays so yeah it does showcase a slight problem we very much still have in this country i think they've done a really good job in the last 15 20 years of making the uk a production hub for big studios right so we get you know game of thrones shoots in northern ireland you get you know Lord of the Rings shooting in, in England, you get all of these big, big productions, like half the Marvel movies were, were shot here. You get these big, big productions coming in, to, you know, bringing a huge amount of money, bringing a huge amount of investment, um, you know, going to some of the best VFX houses in the world are here in the UK, but it makes us incredibly dependent on the US industry because yeah. our own industry has actually kind of died away a little bit. It feels like there's not a lot of British independent film anymore. You realize how vulnerable the situation is then when something like that happens, especially like the sound stages as well, because they tend to get booked up solidly for like, you know, I know myself and Ed Tava, my producer back in Wales, we lament this sometimes, the fact that like it's really hard sometimes for us to do a local project in Wales and get soundstage spaces because they're, they tend to be booked up for three or four years. Mm. Um, so some of the sound stages have been empty for months now. So yeah, it is, it is worrying. And, and so yeah, hopefully this, <laughs> say it, hopefully it doesn't happen again, but in two and a half years time, three years time, they're gonna have to have yeah, a it's, conversation. It's a three year, it's a three -year, deal, year deal, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Are you ramping up? Are you, uh, so once the, the strike was, was called off, it might be tentatively called off. I mean, uh, they might double down <laughs> in, while we're recording this. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to set up something new, hopefully for next spring or maybe in summer, still a little bit, 
I might get a call sometime later tonight that might let me know what I'm doing next week. Um, but yeah, otherwise we're sort of waiting then as well to do a little, few bits and pieces on Havoc as well that we still have that we owe to get that done and finish it over the line. But we're not far off. All right. Well, we'll talk about that later on because we're going to have a, a little bit of a chat with with Gareth uh, as well. But yeah, it's 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 such a relief. And now you're going to get a lot of movies that are going to go back into production. There were reports today that the likes of Deadpool 3 um, and what else? Some other things are swinging back. in Be- Beetlejuice 2, which is two days left to shoot. Two days left to shoot. <laughs> can you imagine that? Are swinging back into action as quickly as they can. I imagine the likes of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. Although there's been scuttlebutt recently that it'll be renamed. Uh, so Mission 8 will be going before the cameras pretty soon. So, you know, Tom Cruise is clambering onto something right now, even in anticipation. Uh, so it's very, very exciting. And, you know, again, to pull the curtain back, our inbox has been inundated today with people going, would you like to talk to famous actor, please? And we go, yes, we would like famous actor because, quite frankly, I'm sick to the back teeth of directors on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Just feel that tide tuning then. <laughs> uh, all right, what else has been happening? What else? What else has been happening in the world of movie news? Trailers. Trailers. Many, many wonderful trailers. Many, yeah. many wonderful. 1984, Police Academy. Yeah, Our references yeah, are nice. getting it's nice. further away now. Here we are. We're, ba- we're backtracking. Uh, where do we even start trailers? So there was the Mean Girls musical, which crucially wasn't a musical. So that well, was an no. interesting choice for a trailer. Yeah, they haven't. They basically just used um, Olivia Rodrigo. Over instead of any of the music, is another she a, popular music. Is she a Carly Rae Jepsen? Yeah, very she is similar. Another Carly is she Rae in the Carly Rae Jepsen? I mean, she she could even become a Taylor Swift. You know, she's <laughs> wow, steady, steady. Will she form a cocoon and then become a Taylor Swift? How does that work? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes, one hundred percent. That's exactly how yeah. it works. You guys talk. I'm just going to check the Liverpool score. Okay, oh, thank you. <laughs> it was two nil earlier. Just I know it's <laughs> fucking embarrassing. Two lose indeed. But yes, yeah, so it's a weird thing because it's the Mean Girls musical. It had the very offensive tagline of not your mother's mean girls, which Steady. is like, I think everybody had a little crisis of, wait, how long has it been? Uh, a long oh, time. Of course. Um, and, uh, but, but otherwise it looks good. And what's weird is, you know, Tina Fey is back looking exactly yeah. like in the original. Tim Meadows is back looking exactly the same. And then there's a new young cast of, I believe you're Gen Z around them who are clearly- <laughs> Said, come on. Oh yeah, okay. Who are clearly talented and, and pr- probably singing, but just not in this trailer. Yeah, I don't know. It looked a bit bland. I wasn't. You I wasn't... look a bit bland. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But uh, no, genuinely, like, because Mean Girls is like, is a proper classic. Like, I absolutely love it. And I mean, it's the... no Clueless, but okay. <laughs> it's better than Clueless. But uh, you know, it's but Rachel McAdams. You know, Lindsay Lohan is really good in it. Amanda Seyfried's amazing in it. And the interchangeable, you know, teenagers in this seemed quite bland to me. But maybe that's because they have amazing voices, which is presumably why they were cast. You've only seen a trailer. I've seen enough, Helen. I've seen enough. (laughs) I know everything. It's too late. I've seen everything. Someone should put your name in the burn book. That is is unforgivable bullying. Stop trying to make James Dyer happen. That's right. That's right. It is not fetch. That's all I'm saying. All right. Uh, Gareth, have you seen the trailer? No, sorry. That's the... You, Amazing mean, you, contribution, I know. That's why I'm here. I mean, we, one we've all, job. We've all seen the influence that Mean Girls has had on your output generally. So. Of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Clearly a big one for you. <laughs> I am so surprised that you led with the Mean Girls trailer. Why? 
Because there's a Reacher trailer. You've met me, right? <laughs> there's a Reacher that trailer. That is true. Though. There is a Reach around. Uh, Reacher, Reacher is technically TV. It is. I, the I domain of the pilot TV podcast. Because no TV can contain Jack Reacher. That's true. Who I believe is played by an actor called Jack Reacher. Uh, I think they've, they've actually found Jack Reacher. So this is Reacher season two. It is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very exciting. And those of us at the Pilot TV podcast may or may not already have seen the episodes. Uh, but yeah, very excited about it. I'm pretty sure you're embargoed, are you? I'm pretty sure I can't talk about it. Uh, if, if I did indeed have the screeners. But uh, it looks really good. I'm excited about it. I think Bad Luck and Trouble, while a great book, is an odd choice for the second season. Yes. Because he is a famous lone wolf. And bringing in, even though you do not mess with the special investigators, yes. bringing the special investigators into the season seems a bit premature. Should we set it up for people who don't know what Reacher is it. or what this, the season no, is? Say nothing. Yes. Yes. Reacher said nothing and so shall we, which is weird for a podcast. I know. Let's give it a go. <laughs> this is actually better. <laughs> for the audience, yes. Yeah, for everybody, I think. Uh, who here is a Jack Reacher fan? Good. Oh, loads of them. Lock the doors. We're going to convert some people. Uh, who saw the first season of Roof Reacher? That's good. All right. That was so way more hands yeah. than an answer to the first question. I know. It's very strange. It's working backwards. Who would like some lunch? <laughs> Weirdly, not many people, but then well, it is eight o'clock at night. Uh, anyway, uh, time works differently on the Empire podcast. Uh, Jack Reacher. So he is the nomadic loner, uh, creator of of Lee Child. Uh, he's dubbed Sherlock Homeless. He has the brain of a genius. He's like Columbo, but in a brick shithouse's body. And uh, he is, the first season was a whole ton of fun. This is based on Bad Luck and Trouble, which I believe is book eight in the series. And um, sees Reacher team up with his former pals in the, in the army called the Special Investigators when someone drops one of their number out of a helicopter which isn't good. Um, and so they team up and they, they solve crime by punching it repeatedly in the face. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Gareth, you must. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sold me on it. That we had about two and a half hour train ride in where most of it was about Jack yeah. Reacher. So yeah, I, I, I'm sold. Even yeah. things that weren't about Jack Reacher become Jack Reacher when yeah. you're in the company of, of us. Like I was eating a yogurt on the train and Jack Reacher <laughs> has never eaten a yogurt, but he has seen one. And, 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 and literally that's a line in the book. And it, I feel like it just encapsulates the whole character. Yeah. Reacher had never eaten a yogurt, but he had seen one. Yeah. We also so did walk past like, a branch of boots. And famously, Jack Reacher is an expert on boots. Yes, an expert on boots, wearing them and the the high street chemist yeah. as well. Sure yeah. There is there is a moment in one of the Jack Reacher books. I'm I'm selling Jack Reacher on you, okay? Uh, uh, so there's a moment in one of the Jack Reacher books where he helps solve a crime by figuring out how far a an empty cup of yogurt would have traveled thrown out of the window of a car at high speed. There's about 15 pages of him working this out. It is the greatest thing in the history of literature. When God read that, he stopped writing the Bible too. That's all I'm going to say on that one. It's amazing. And Reacher is on uh, Prime Video. It is Prime, yeah. In December. I want to say the 16th. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it may or may not be, but I want to say it's the 16th. All right. I think it's it should be Christmas Day. Yeah. It should, it should be, be like yeah. like the U2 album. It should be in all our minds. Yeah, it forces its just... way onto our phones. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, when are they going to be forgiven for giving never, people a free never, album? I don't never. understand. Get the there fuck are so out many phone. worse groups out there. <laughs> they get away with so much worse. Yeah. Anyway. 
Connery yeah, Jepson yeah. would never have done that. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Sorry, can I just interject? What is the Liverpool score? <laughs> it's not important what the Liverpool score is. <laughs> is it 2 0 still or is it? No, no, it's no. Worse. It's much, much worse. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Three? Three has been scored. Okay. <laughs> but not by Liverpool. Yeah. One has been scored by Liverpool. All, all football results should be like this. <laughs> so, sir, tell me of the football. What have what has the goals been? Four has been scored by Manchester City, but only one has been scored by Brentford. As an Everton fan, I'm obviously devastated. <laughs> I'll check it again. Uh, Gareth, did you watch any trailers? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I watched the trailer for Inside Out too. Which oh, yeah. oh yeah, let's yes. talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I thought it was. It looks great. I can't wait. I love the first one. I love the original. I mean, I got it's that weird thing of like watching films with my kids now. It's that thing of going through that experience watching it with them. And I feel like this will be another moment where, because my daughter would have been, should be maybe like seven or eight, I think, when the first one came out. And so now it's that weird thing where she's going to grow with the, with those films in the way that didn't happen when we watched Harry Potter all in one go um, <laughs> and realized, yeah, maybe some of these are not okay for an eight-year-old. <laughs> all in one go, like you, you binged it. Well, what happened was, um, I think I was responsible for looking after her one night. I think they call it parenting, <laughs> but I refer to it as babysitting my own kid. Um, but yeah, and so uh, we were sat there and then I thought, hey, let's stick a Harry Potter film on because I'd not seen it. It missed my, my generation, my age thing and so when uh when i stuck it on and we watched it together it was just this wonderful magical amazing thing to experience with her and she was just in awe and then um and then i thought you know what let's just watch all of them one a week and but what we didn't have is that growth into adolescence that i guess the the original yeah. you know fan base for it would have had watching them one every year or two years i don't even remember how, how long it was stretched across but for her she just literally went from being eight to like 14 or something or other in the space of a month. So, yeah. Has she seen any of your movies? She's seen... <laughs> I, showed her, I showed her a scene from The Raid and then I showed her... Which scene from The Raid is was acceptable? It, was it where you go braid someone's hair? It was, when, it was when they were just like... Walking, probably in the truck the or something or other. <laughs> not much not much and she watched the first 10 minutes of Apostle before the guy had his throat slit and I stopped <laughs> it. um, it's always nerve wracking though because because I, I watch them over and over and over again when we're making them like you know every edit every cut blah 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 blah, blah. and then all of a sudden you put it out into the world and you just forget about it you just kind of like you don't go back that often and so when I go back and watch these films with her sometimes I'm like forget something's coming up and then it's always like a mad dash to find the remote control and press pause or stop i mean but, with the raid that's every 30 seconds so isn't it yeah there or yeah. thereabouts yeah um but no it's, it's it's fun but she's it's fun now because she's um she, she's she's 14 going on 15 and 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 we've started it's it's that cool age where i get to start showing her things that are like you know just pushing the boundaries a little bit for her so like you know the stuff that my dad showed me when i was seven um <laughs> you know so um like we, we we just did like throughout the month of October, we just did a bunch of horror films. And so it was fun to kind of like show her things like um, Dark Water and The Grudge and uh, and then Evil Dead 2, which she just flipped for and loved, which was a great, lovely little bonding moment that. Um, but yeah, it's a the greatest so yeah, it's film of all time. Yeah. And then Inside Out 2 soon. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Following the back. theme. Yes, see, I love see the way I, I brought that, that back? That, yeah. Yeah. It is full of anxiety now. So. Yeah. 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 So basically this sees anxiety turn up and sort of remodeling. Okay. Yeah, we just scored a goal. Okay. Um, 
and remodeling the inside of Riley's head. Uh, anxiety is going to be voiced by Maya Hawk. Um, and and there's an interesting th that line in the trailer where she says we. Mm. So there's presumably going to be a whole bunch more emotions. Self-loathing, you know. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, we've seen the, in the, the inside of like adults' heads before and they just had those five basic emotions. So I'm kind of intrigued to see like, is this... You know, we know that teenagers experience emotion more strongly, but is it going to be literally they have more emotions than any other group in this universe? Mm. Or or are they just going to retcon their first film? Well, I like the fact that you see them essentially rewiring her brain yeah. for puberty, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, this, I, this will this will have many, I think, interesting subtexts. Mm. This isn't directed by Pete Docter, is it? Because he's now running the company? Yeah, like he's Victor now Kayan. big... Big boss man. By the way, Victor Kaya may be the, the oldest reference I've made yet. Yeah, this is Kelsey Mann directing. Okay. I'm not even sure I understand Victor Kaya. But anyway, he um he liked Remington Razor so much he bought the company and then he was I'm fucking old. I am so old. Come I, I got it. Thanks, Gareth. But wow. I'm looking at young people. Come and they're looking back at me and I'm just having a pressure. Should we should we find some young person news? Is that yeah, who likes it. the legend of Zelda? <laughs> Okay, that was muted. Uh, <laughs> I'll just leave. Uh, well, there's going to be a Legend oh, of Zelda. Oh, on the Nintendo film. 64. Yes, That's right. right. Yes, the Nintendo <laughs> 64, famously. Yeah, they're making a Legend of Zelda movie. It's a thing that's... Who, who could have predicted after the runaway success of the masterpiece that was the Mario movie that they would yes. do a Zelda one with their other big property, but Nintendo were doing this. Uh, Wes, uh, Wes Ball? Ball? Wes Ball, Wes yeah. Ball. Wes Ball, he has not dropped the ball. Uh, he is following on Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes with this, so he's going to be doing the Zelda movie. Uh, yeah, it is in many ways the missing link. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't applaud that. Oh, come on, come on, come on now. Uh, I warned you beforehand uh, to encourage it is to only make it grow in strength. I feel my power growing with every yeah. passing second. He's like Freddy Krueger. It's true. In that he has somehow burst through into yeah. our reality and is drawing strength. The souls applause. of the children give me strength. Yes. <laughs> You are all his children now, in a very real sense. <laughs> oh. Check your birth certificates. It's true. I'm uh, no, I'm excited about this. What kind? I mean, excited maybe is a strong word. I'm uh, I'm I'm interested to see it. It's live action. I should point out that as well. It's not an animated film. It's a live action film. So, yeah. So it's basically a fantasy film where a, a little dude in a green top. He's an elf, basically. A He's a little little elf guy in a big hat. Yeah. Right, and he goes for a run. He has a horse. He doesn't need to run. Okay. Well, sometimes he runs. He's got a kite as well, like a little paraglider. He's quite well equipped for traveling. That's true. Okay. Like Jack Reacher. Yeah, very much. In fact, he is the elven Jack Reacher. And he says nothing. So, you know. <laughs> I'm sold. I've never played it. I've never played Zelda. Okay. Well, I know not, that yeah. Robin Williams named his daughter. That is absolutely Zelda. true, because Zelda's the princess, not the little elf yes. Reacher dude. Yeah. Yeah. Even I know that. Well, and I know yeah. nothing yeah. about gaming. Can, who's the villain? Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> Famously, Jeff the villain is correct, yes. I that, know there's an ocarina in it. In there is an time, ocarina. That's it's all I got. Timely. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, thank you, uh, Ganon, Ganon, or Ganondorf, depending which game you're playing, is the, uh, is the, is the, is the villain. Gan Ganon. Yes, Ganon. Not a gammon. That's no. a very... <laughs> Piers Morgan's already done this. Is that the uh, legend of Brexit? Uh, yes, that's right. Ganondorf was in charge of Brexit. Yes. Oh my God. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Gareth, you played the Nintendo Switch uh, uh, before? I'm, I'm very confused at the moment. <laughs> yeah. You're more of a Mario Kart man, aren't Ma you? Mario, yeah. Mario's more my speed, yeah. Yeah, I do love a bit of Mario. Uh, there's another trailer that's very, very good. Let me just check. You know, still losing. Um, uh, Ghostbusters, yes. they're back. And yes. this time they're in New York. 
Yes. For a frozen Which, empire. Again, yeah, frozen emp- empire. That's right. Empire. That's our name. That it is. <laughs> and I was frozen earlier on this afternoon in a hotel go. room. <laughs> and I got the hotel and I was freezing cold and the heater wouldn't work. And I called maintenance like a diva. And I said, sort it the fuck out, please. And they, uh, they sent two burly men to my hotel room. And I thought a porno was about to happen. <laughs> but no, they were actually there to fix my boiler my heater type thing and uh, they were there to they, investigate your pipes yes okay. they were there to give my pipes a thorough cleaning and they they came over to the, the side and they went it, it doesn't work I can't make it work and the man looked at me and turned it on at the switch <laughs> this is absolutely true it's a it's a true story I actually died at that very moment <laughs> and the ghost of Chris Hewitt is walking at the corridors of the hotel right now making strange noises. So any anyway, Ghostbusters, yeah. uh, who will be along to clear the hotel in just a moment. Yeah. Um, this is weird to me though. This is a little bit weird that the first we seem to know of this new threat is like an apocalypse of ice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's called winter in England. I don't know quite what I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's quite an extreme version of winter that we're seeing here. I mean, you know, climate change, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I need, you know, I, I hope there's some kind of build up. I hope there's more build up in the film than there is in this trailer to all of this crazy oh, yeah, stuff happening. It's not a great trailer. Obsa- obsessing you think? No, I didn't think it was a great trailer. I think it could be a great film. I think the trailer is a little bit anemic. Sorry. Interesting. Gareth, did you it. watch the trailer? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Evans. <laughs> what have you been doing all day, man? <laughs> I watched the Inside Out trailer twice so I could <laughs> say something about it and then um, I must have missed out on the Ghostbusters one. All right, well, this, this there's one, Ghostbusters in it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the original Ghostbusters, there are original Ghostbusters as well as the, you know, um, Paul Rudd uh, gang and then they're joined by Kamel Nanjiani and Patton Oswalt mm. and this one is directed by Gil Kennan who wrote the last one with Jason Reitman who now is still writing, but as then they've swapped who directs, I think. Yes. I saw have. them in a coffee shop in London just a couple of months ago. So they must have been working. Which one, Helen? Both of them. No, which one? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, it was that one on um, Greek Street. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> What an anecdote! One for the, <laughs> one for the annals there. My worst. In journalism. a coffee shop. Oh. Which one? I don't remember. What were they having? Who knows? Did you interact with them? Not no. at all. Uh, no, I was. I was with uh, Amon Warman of this parish. We were having a coffee. Okay. And, and they walked in, and I was like, "Don't look now, but it's Jason Reitman." And don't look now. It's a, it's and a he, of course, immediately went, "What?" In a red coat. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, keep her cool, keep her cool. <laughs> that reminds me of one time I was walking down the street with um, Nick Dissemlian, also of this parish, and we saw Richard Iowadi um, in cycle gear, standing, having a conversation with Chris Morris, of all people. And <laughs> Nick, uh, we were about five feet away from him, and Nick went, it's Dean Lerner! <laughs> as loud as you could possibly get. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not good. Uh, anyway, yeah, I thought this trailer looked good, and I think you're, you're being a Grinch. Fair enough. Uh, and I think it looks like it could be a return to form for this franchise. I liked What was wrong with Afterlife? No, I liked it. I liked fine. it. It was fine. It was okay. But the Ghostbusters belong in New York. For me, anyway. Sure. And it looks kind of creepy and gozery. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. So, fingers crossed that Ghostbusters Frozen Empire yeah. will be as good as the podcast that bears its name. Um, 
It's a dark thread if ever there was one. Uh, anything else? What else is happening in the world of movie trailers and movie news before we move on to something else? Let me see. Oh, Corn Hardy uh, is making a new movie. He is he's a regular guest on this podcast. Of course, worked with Gareth on Gangs of London, uh, and he is making a horror film called Whistle, which is about a group of high school kids who um, they get hold of a whistle, like a freaky deaky whistle that can predict an, your death or something? No, no, it's an Aztec death whistle. Now, this is a real thing that actually exists. Not what? an Azda death whistle. That's a very different thing. That's, that's much cheaper and, and easier to get. No, an Aztec death whistle was found in this. They, they excavated this temple near Mexico City and they found the corpse of this beheaded young man who held musical instruments in both hands and one of them was like a whistle carved in like a skull shape. And they're like, that's cool very metal we love that and so they called it an aztec death whistle and there's all these theories that like oh i bet the aztecs all had one of these and they blew them and it made this terrifying shrieking noise as they went into battle for which there is no evidence whatsoever um and apparently somebody has recreated it and it just sort of goes <laughs> um, but that's not the point in this story yes the Aztec death whistle yes does probably make a scary noise I imagine I haven't seen the film yet obviously because he hasn't made it yet and um, and then you are haunted by your own death which tries to make you die what? sooner so I guess it's like a representation of your death that then comes and tries to make itself happen to you so in my case asking people to fix a boiler in a yes. leads hotel room yes not boiler heater. a radiator, radiator. radiator. Yeah. I'm radiator. not very good with technical terms I'm more of a words jockey um, I don't know yeah, it sounds good. Sounds good. And it's got a good cast. It's got a good cast. It's, it stars actor, and I don't have. I've, I'm looking at the Liverpool score. <laughs> to be honest, with you. Yeah. <laughs> Daphne Keen is in it. Oh, that's oh, she's keen. <sighs> don't laugh. Don't laugh. Oh, so oh, so you applaud him? <laughs> yes. And his yes. little puns about Link. Yeah. But when I make a world class pun about Daphne Keen, I get groans. Yes. Correct. All right. Yeah. Aztec okay. death whistle. Well, I can't even say it. As, oh, is it? Again, Aztec death. How can how quickly can you say that? Aztec death whistle. Yes. That is Aztec that, that, death whistle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They were great in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Frost in it too. There you go. Now you're interested. Yeah. Wow. Paying attention now. Oh, mm. oh yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, all right. I think oh, and the bear's uh, been renewed for season three, and the least surprising news ever although it did take fucking ages given how good that show is well there were there were a couple of strikes on I'm not sure if you were I aware, they've not they been busy what are you talking stuff? about uh, but yeah it has officially been renewed it was renewed before the strike ended so yeah yeah but the writers had been on strike for quite that a long time that is also true they had to make sure that, that, that they had true. you know ideas because they writers on strike they couldn't actually sign the contract to say they were doing it <laughs> that's, 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 that's how that true. works yeah uh, Gareth, do you have any movie news from your from your own brain, from the world of Gareth Evans? What's what's happening with with things? What are you working on at the moment? <laughs> this is journalism, kids. <laughs> we 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 we're sort of on the cusp of hopefully setting something up new for next spring. Like I mentioned that earlier, we yeah. might be shooting out either spring or summer. We're still trying to figure out some piece of casting for that, which should be uh, quite a fun one. It's a uh, we kind of we we've been a little bit quiet on it for a while, but it's a. Uh, I won't say what it is just yet, but it's a remake of a Japanese film that I watched during the middle of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, that had been pitched to me maybe like 10 years ago, seven or eight, seven or eight years ago. Um, and it, it has an amazing title. I'm going to be very skirty around the details. Uh, <laughs> 
So, um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's it's a cool little sort of fun sort of like Yakuza film from the sixties, and um, and yeah, really excited. We're going to transpose it to UK and hopefully shoot that. We've done all the action design, so we did that last year, right? Um, and then and we're we're literally ready to just jump and start working on it as soon as we get this piece of casting sorted. Amazing. So, so for so the people soon. who don't know how Gareth works, can you can you talk people through? your process as an action director, how you do this. Yeah, so um, I, I have the most fun job in the world when it comes to that, because it's literally just like, I go in a room with stunt performers, uh, incredibly gifted, talented stunt performers, and um, and we map out every action sequence for a film, so from scratch. So we figure out every punch, every kick, every gunshot, every fall um, in a room full of crash mats and cardboard boxes. Huh. And we literally film the scene like we would film it in the final product. but. With a now with an iPhone, <laughs> just walk around with an iPhone, shoot shots, and then airdrop them to the laptop, edit it together, and it literally becomes like the 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 blueprint or the framework for how that scene will end up being shot properly when we actually have the money to make it properly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then and then that thing stays quite rigidly because we 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 interrogate every shot, we interrogate every piece of the action, we try to make sure that nothing feels bad. Um, so we we like there's no hierarchy in the the sort of the the room. We're always throwing grenades at each other's ideas, and then whichever one stays afloat, and whichever one we all think is still good stays in the scene. Um, and and yeah, we follow that, and it becomes a sort of template, I guess, for us to impart all the information that's needed from for every HOD that works on the film. Mm. So whether it's makeup, uh, you know, um, SFX or camera rigging or lighting, anything which is, you know, uh, which they need that information from is dragged out of each shot and we can schedule every day then accordingly and know we're going to shoot shots one to 12 that day or 13 to 24 the next day. And um, it's just a, it's a, it's my safety net process in Hong Kong, the best guys, the great guys that do that, they can just do it on the cuff. So like, you know, Jackie and Samuel, those guys, when they would go to set, they would walk the set and figure out the action. And, and they're so great at what they do that they know exactly where to put the camera. They know exactly what their edits are going to be. It's already up there in their head. Um, I don't have any of that skill set. So I need to have something that I know that I can watch and, and, and extrapolate and make sure that it looks good still. How much of it does it get stripped back in the edit? Like from what you shoot action-wise, how much of it? So you know how a lot of comedy, you know, shoot loads of material and then in the edit, that's where you make the gags work. Is it similar with the action stuff? Uh, with well, with the action, what what we tend to do is we stick so rigidly to the to the to the yeah. uh, previs that mm, the end product is usually ninety five percent the same yeah. as what we designed. The only thing that falls off is the stuff that we maybe run out of time to shoot. But because we're sticking to it, like each shot is like a jigsaw piece. So I never shoot coverage of an action sequence. So I'm never sort of like rolling cameras and get the the performers to do the whole thing. So it'll only be, oh, for this shot, it's just, you know, a punch to the face and fall to the ground. It made that sound much simpler than it is. But <laughs> um, but the, what the performers get from that is they get to know that uh, on, on a given take, they know that they're only have to focus their energy on mm -hmm. that piece. Because what happens if you do long takes and coverage of those action sequences like that, it's when the, the choreography gets sloppy, timing gets yeah. missed, and also the performers get exhausted really quickly because they're doing like a two-minute sequence. And what we will say is like, oh, keep your energy for this shot because we got maybe four or five beats. But then the next shot might just be a close-up of a head turn. And then for that 15, 20 minutes, it's like a breather for them. Um, as much as breathers can be on film that I yeah. do. But yeah. 
But you have massively talented like martial artists doing this stuff. So presumably that makes it a lot easier. So I'm always like, is it easier or harder when you watch like Taken 3 and like Neon Neeson climbs over that fence and it's 15 separate cuts for him to climb over a fence? And you're just like, the editor is fucking earning his pay doing that shit. Yeah, so um, uh, obviously I love that process of filmmaking um, a, a great deal. You know, I wouldn't say a bad word about it. You know, Sometimes you do need 15 shots to get over a fucking fence. But... Uh, uh, the, the pain, I think the most painful thing I find is that, because uh, I talk to an awful lot of stunt coordinators, an awful lot of people that do this for a living and, and, and design great action sequences. And I'm lucky to be privy sometimes of seeing um, previs from, you know, a, a lot of my peers that I look up to and, and admire a great deal. And then sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes um, when it comes to the actual production, sometimes maybe the director can't get out of their own way. <laughs> And and trust the previs because the previs sometimes you look at it and you're like oh my god this is amazing this is game changer stuff and then you get to the finished film and you're like what 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 the fuck happened like you watch it where did all this great stuff go and then usually it's like uh the director didn't want to follow the previs and they wanted to add this shot and add this shot and add this master and then shoot this for coverage and everything else and then what happens then is as well if the stunt coordinator that's designed the sequence isn't given access to the footage to be able to put together the edit suddenly it's like what they created has now been reinterpreted by a director then it's then now being reinterpreted by an editor that's not on set and not knowing why they're shooting these individual pieces and so sometimes you get this weird frankenstein's monster where the scene works for parts but not all of it and you know a lot of the time not all the time a lot of time you watch the previous you're like oh, if only they just followed uh, you know, it's it's such a specific skill set, you know, and, and 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 I think that's why I feel like an awful lot of the really really great sort of action films that are being made right now, when you look around them, they're all being directed by stunt coordinators, seven, yeah. you yeah. know, like uh, Sam Hargreaves and um, and uh, yeah, and then uh, sorry, JJ Perry as well who did Daywatch, yeah, um, yeah Day, not Daywatch, what's it called? Sorry, Day Shift. Mm. Um, you know, the action sequences in those, and then obviously, yeah. Um, David Leach and, and um, Chad as well, like they, their films are are incredible because they come from that school. Yeah. They've had, that, had all of that experience, but now they get to be the ones that are behind the controls and decide, no, this is how we're going to do it. And that's why it gets very specific then and you get those magic moments in those sequences. So can we talk a, a little bit about Havoc and what we can expect from that? Yes. We, we wrapped on it quite a while ago, and then we did a lot of post-pro. There's a huge amount of VFX work that has been needed to be done across it, um, which has taken up a, a large amount of time. And then we're probably like about, we've probably, we've been discussing sort of like maybe what's amounting to about mm, a week or two of additional photography to, to iron out some creases and some storyline elements. Um, things which are kind of, which I'm finding out very normal films at this price point and this budget range. Mm. This is my first experience of that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we were sort of getting close to figuring out the final pieces of that. And then obviously Strike. all the strikes started. Yeah. And so we've had this weird period where we've just been waiting because no one's been able to engage, whether it was conversations with the writer for the additional the additional pages or conversations with Tom and the writer. And so now. I guess at some point this week or next week or something, we can all kind of get back in a room together for the first time in Christ, five months, six months, yeah, wherever, yeah. I don't know how long it's been, yeah. and actually start putting a plan together to get it done. Like no one wants our film out more than I do. It's like it's been sitting there waiting, and I know what we've got in there, and it's really fun. <laughs> so it's, it's, we, we've done some crazy set pieces in there and some really good um, fun action beats as, as well as like Tom's 
brilliant performance in it. So I'm Tom being Hardy, Tom Hardy yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what can you tell the folks about it? Because I, I've I've been lucky enough to see some stuff as well. And yeah. Holy shit. That's um, <laughs> all I'm going to say. But, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like um, it's a throwback to sort of throwback to sort of nineties action cinema in a way. Um, set during Christmas, but not. It's not Die Hard. I, I always, <laughs> I'm too afraid to even mention that film. <laughs> is Havoc a Christmas film? That's going to be the new yeah. debate. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's set around that period, and um, and and Tom is playing a sort of a a, a, a fairly Santa. gristle. <laughs> yeah, Santa, badass Santa, <laughs> uh, a, a, a grizzled sort of like fairly corrupted cop. Uh, who ends up over the course of like two nights having to uh, save the the son of a of an equally corrupt uh, property developer played by Forrest Whitaker? Um, while oh yeah, there's a good cast in this one. Um, we had Louis Guzman in the film as well, who was just wonderful. Timothy Oliphant as well. Uh, Jesse May Lee was, was fantastic as well. Um, and 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 yeah, and and it, it was a great experience shooting it. Obviously, you know, it's set in the US, so we decided to shoot in Wales. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which everyone's really happy about um, from a VFX budget level. Um, but no, it's been, it's been, it's been a great, it was a great experience shooting it. The, it was, it was crazy. And, um, and yeah, the, like we, we, we had, we, we, we built a, a nightclub set for one sequence because I foolishly decided that um, we would design an action set piece inside a nightclub and say, yeah, it needs to be two floats, two stories. And no nightclub in the world is going to let you shoot the amount of days that I need for an action sequence in a nightclub. Um, and so we had to build one from scratch for that. So that was um, another thing that people are happy with me about. Uh, but but, but uh, more on that maybe when it comes out, I think. More on that indeed down the line. But never mind all that action nonsense. What about Timothy Olyphant's hair? What was it like oh, yeah. being close to it? Did you, did you touch it? Did you, did you smell it? Every day. Oh, man, that's it. <laughs> How, what was he's, he's like the most budget. laid back human being I think I've ever met in my entire life. Like we would. What does he have to worry about? Look at him! My God, <laughs> it's it's insane. Like he is California personified. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. And and um, he regaled us with stories about a, 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 a like a, a mother seagull and a baby seagull that perched up in his garden where we where he was staying at the time for like an hour. He told us this <laughs> over the course of many days of shooting. So it was it was this weird sort of like you know. Attenborough moment through the prism of Timothy Oliphant's sort of <laughs> Californian drawl. So it was it was quite special. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. He's super nice. Really, really nice. Oh man, I cannot wait for Havoc starring Timothy Oliphant and his incredible hair. And some guy called Tom Hardy as well and some other people also. But yeah, I wish you all the best with that. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, and now should we get on with some reviews? Should we review sure. some films? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's must. do it. We, if we must, we are a <laughs> wow. film podcast. This is what we are contractually obliged to do. Uh, should we talk about the big movie of the week, which is The Marvels, Hell's Bells. This is the... Marvels. I am beginning to lose count now. But I think this is the 33rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Name the rest go. No. <laughs> You're no fun. <laughs> What's the Marvels about? Yeah, so this is the sequel to Captain Marvel. So Captain Marvel is back, played by Brie Larson. Um, and uh, she, basically she faces a new threat. So um, uh, Dar Ben, who is now the leader of the Kree, she's played by Zoe Ashton, um, is uh, causing problems. Kree. And right at the same time, wouldn't you know it, Captain Marvel's powers become entangled with those of 
Monica Rambeau, played by Tiona Paris, last seen in WandaVision, but don't worry if you haven't seen it. And Ms. Marvel, played by Man Villani, last seen in Ms. Marvel. Um, but actually, don't worry if you haven't seen it, because they do to give you a little bit of a primer on who everybody is. So basically, these three women, their powers are entangled. They keep swapping places every time they use their powers, or most times they use their powers, and it causes problems. So they have to essentially team up, so at least they're in the same place when they swap places, and not halfway across the universe from one another, and find a way to stop the Kree's evil plan from to do things that I won't spoil. All right, good. Yes. Okay. And ain't it spoiler special just yet? No, indeed. And Nick Fury is in it. Samuel Nick Fury, Jackson yeah. is in it. And, yeah. Um, and I had a real, I had a blast. Um, it's directed by Nia Costa, I should say, who of course did the Candyman remakequel, sequel, yeah. sequel kind of sequel, yeah, mostly a yeah. sequel. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, which is a fantastic, fantastic horror film. If you haven't seen it, um, and this, uh, she, she seems to be having so much fun. It is. I don't know if it's the shortest Marvel movie in a while, but it feels like it is. It, is. it feels yeah, by very some short. Distance, yeah. The 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 action is basically wrapped up in about ninety odd minutes, and then there's a little bit of you know a couple of fun scenes at the end, and of, of course really long credits because it's a Marvel movie. But basically, this is sort of a ninety five minute Marvel movie, and and there's a lot to be said for that. It's just zippy. It's fun. It's poppy. It kind of gets in, gets out. There are character scenes. There are comedy scenes, but they don't hang around. You know. Um, they just kind of keep things moving. If you don't like what's happening, don't worry, it'll be gone in like a minute and you'll be on to the next thing. You know, so I just I just really enjoyed it. I think it has the, I said this in the review, but I think it has the funniest needle drop in the Marvel Universe. Um, it's got some really, really clever, fun, weird things. There's a planet where everybody sings and dances and that's the way they communicate. And I would like to go to there. I think it would be fun for holidays. Is a Carly Rae Jepsen there? Is that where she comes from? I think she could be. I think, I mean, if you were going to drop her in the MCU, you would absolutely put her on that planet. There you go. Call her maybe. <laughs> oh, is that what she That's does? That's the one. <laughs> Why the fuck did you lead with that? You, you really, really, really like her. Come on. She's my favorite singer. Oh my God. Anyway, so, but look, it's, I, I just had a blast with it. I, I, I see that there are things that people are not going to love about it. I think stuff like musical planets is going to be divisive. <laughs> Um, well, it Holst already liked is. It, to be honest. Huh? Holst liked it. Holst, that's yeah, that's quite a highbrow yeah, joke. That was, that was a very joke. <laughs> Every now and again, I have one in me. Uh, a joke, that is. <laughs> that's better. That's better. Bring it down. <laughs> we found the line again. <laughs> he told a Waiting for Goddard joke last night. I mean, what that was the amazing. fuck is going on? I know. He did. Took, took a long time, though, to arrive. But <laughs> there's, there's two. Two of the prizes are won. Well, of course... Sam Beckett wrote Endgame. Well, not Sam Beckett. He's a scientist from Quantum Leap. But Samuel Beckett wrote Endgame. Oh so boy. that's that's how I. That's how you. That's know. the only reason I know about Samuel Beckett because yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, what is this guy who wrote and Endgame? Then, and then and then you know, Professor X and Magneto did a play. Magneto. Magneto. All right, the other one. Yeah, Magneto. Anyway, yes. look. The point is, I was reviewing a film. If you remember. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, there are things that people are going to dislike and already very much dislike about this film. Some people um, have given this zero stars. Literally zero stars. Curmudgeon. Some people have called it the worst movie in the Marvel I, Cinematic like, Universe. Yeah, I, look, I respect people who, who have issues with it. I respect yeah. people who don't like it. I know James has... Well, I don't respect him, obviously, but... <laughs> he, has, he has some issues with it. And I, I understand his issues. I don't share them for the most part, but I understand where he's coming from with some of this. Um, but... 
the people who are like, this is the worst mo- Marvel movie. This clearly is haven't seen that man and the wasp. I mean, it's like it's. I don't even. I've drawn myself up to my full imposing height to try and intimidate you. Is it working? Yes. Good. Excellent. All right. Anyway, I just i i don't i don't see how that is a possible, you know, view to hold. And I I think there is a little bit of playing to the gallery because there's been so much online hate for this film. I'm sure it's just coincidental that it's starring three women Mm -hmm. and has no male love interest or or really significant male role beyond Nick Fury and that it's directed by black women. I'm sure that's completely coincidental to to the hatred that this film has had online before anyone has seen it. Um, but but I I think there might be a little bit of playing to the crowd with some of the hyperbole and some of the negativity. Yeah. Again, yeah. totally respect you if you don't like this film. That is an absolutely fine position to have. But if you're really that furious about it, I'm Nick I am, Furious. Nick Furious. <laughs> I am I am genuinely a little bit um, skeptical, and I'm trying not to be. I'm trying there's, to respect you, but mm. there's, there's a sign. There's a sense also people are playing to the gallery in terms of there is. You know, there's this a, a, narrative, a, crit- a critical there? mass. Yeah, there's a narrative that, that Marvel building. is in trouble and that it's this wounded. will show that this is in trouble. Which is yes. accurate. I think it's fairly yeah. safe to say. They're, they're wobbling, but, but it wouldn't. I, you know, that's, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Marvel Cinematic Universe will outlive all of us. We will be long dead, haunting Leeds hotel rooms, and there will be MCU movies and TV yeah. shows and games and whatever the fuck they do in the future where they just beam things in your eyeballs and Kevin Feige appears in your brain and tells you things. Um, which is pretty much what happens to me now, to be in fairness. Uh, uh, Jimbo, where are you? Helen's in the four-star camp. Spoiler alert, we gave this four we stars. We give it four stars. Jimbo, where are you? Uh, I'm, I'm probably more in the three-star camp. I didn't didn't hate it by any means. I, like, so, interestingly, and this is a fact I learned today, it is the most expensive per-minute film under two hours ever made. So I, mean, I thought that was... I, I do want to see the working eye on that, but okay, yeah. <laughs> Helen, I read it on the internet. It must be true. <laughs> uh, but, so, the thing with this is, like, on the plus side, you've got three really charming leads, and, and when you spend time with them, it's an absolute unalloyed delight. It's fun, it's fluffy, it's really enjoyable. Uh, Iman Vellani is just adorable. So good. She's wonderful. Brie Larson is also brilliant. I didn't love Tayona Paris, I've got to be honest. I thought she was fine, but again, she had very little to do character-wise in WandaVision. I don't think she had much more to work with in this as well. I thought she was underserved. I disagree um, with that, but I'll, I've talked about that in the spoiler show. Fine. So, I, um, so I, I kind of would have liked to have liked her more, but I enjoyed the three of them together. I thought the, the kind of power-swapping thing was really well thought out. The training montage for that is fucking brilliant. The only thing I will say about this is the plot is so slight and quite confused and a little bit disposable. It feels like it's literally just there to allow you to hang out with those characters. And that's actually fine. And I think if you set the film for that, it's really good. But from a plot point of view, I thought it really needed another pass. No, but I look, I I had I had a blast watching it. There is, you know, the main story, not to spoil anything, the main story is completely irrelevant, but there is some narrative stuff that happens in here, which will prove quite important going forward, which is nice. Uh, and while it does, it, like it, when you go in, it feels like the most inaccessible Marvel movie. Because, oh, I haven't seen fucking Miss Marvel. What, what, and she was introduced in that, and what the hell is this? And I've not seen that. But actually, none of that really matters because it's just really fun characters having fun. And there's a shit ton of cats in it. Um, uh, those aren't cats. You're right. They are flirking great, though. They really are. Uh, I'm... I'm straddling James and Helen. Um, no, I've told you not <laughs> yeah. to do that. 
<laughs> no, I'm I'm kind of in between both stools on this one. Uh, I had. Hang on, she's four. I'm three. Where does that put you? <laughs> three, three and a half. You're obviously. Three and a half. Okay. Jesus Christ. Who taught you fractions? What's going on? Yes, uh, I I think it was fun. I had a good time with it. I think the more I think about the Singing Planet, I'm not sure it was a wise <laughs> idea. But uh, I admire the balls. Um, you know, <laughs> Captain, I've got to admire your balls. Uh, I admire the courage to try and pull something. Oh Jesus. I admire the courage to try and achieve something like that so deep into the franchise and there are various other wild swings, wild tonal swings. Uh, It's not my favorite Marvel movie, uh, but I don't think that it is a one-star Farrago, as certain people seem to have decided, perhaps before they went in to see the film. Yeah, but there is also no justification for giving it. If you've ever seen another film... It's not. It's a in fucking focus. By yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Two stars. Yeah. yeah, the camera does not at any point fall fucking over. Yeah, so. nobody died. Yeah. Two stars. I don't. I mean, I. I that's I, my I, yes. I that's my that's my criteria. A bit more. I, I, okay. It's in focus. Nobody died. Two sure. stars. And if it's any better than that, then you get a three. There you go. Um, I'm quite. Let me just I'm be clear. Gonna, just well. as your lawyer, that this is not Empire's <laughs> official position. It's not Empire's official movies. position. This is how we grade films. It's just it's mine. Oh, it's just yeah. mine. Uh, anyway, four stars uh, for the Marvels. Um, Helen, is this your Attack of the Clones moment? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. It takes some of the heat off me after 20 <laughs> Christian years. Um, all right, four stars in for the Marvels. Let's move on now to Dream Scenario. Uh, we're, we're not asking Gareth, by the way, to comment on other people's films. Because um, <laughs> I don't get invited to watch any of these films. <laughs> no, really, like you guys do, yeah. But you have, yeah, thank Gareth, you. You did watch something in preparation for this. I did, yeah. yeah. But we're not discussing it, apparently, right? No, we, we can discuss it. We okay, discussed cool. it a couple of weeks ago when yeah. it came out in the cinemas, but you, you watched The Killer. They were Last night. The Killer, yeah. 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 It was fantastic. It was great. Really enjoyed it. I'm not as insightful as these three. Um, <laughs> no, I thought it was great. I mean, for me, it was like, uh, and I, I've read comments about people comparing it to some of Fincher's past filmography. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really fair to kind of do that because this feels much more of a straight genre piece. Um, it's it's a film that I want to go back and revisit again immediately. I think it's out tomorrow, so I probably will. Um, to kind of on Netflix, yeah, yeah, to kind of deep dive into the layers that are there um, that maybe I didn't get on first watch. But I just thought it was like really entertaining and and just like in that same way that Panic Room was like this sort of like just full on just a forward driving momentum of a story. It just nobody executes that kind of genre filmmaking the way he does. And, and I thought it was brilliant. I thought Fastbender was incredible. Mm. Um, really, really incredible in that film. So I, I, I loved it. And the, 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 the fight against the brute, chapter three or four, was, was incredible. Oh my god, so how good! good. Is that? It was so good. Couch it was really, food really is good. a thing. It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm gonna be stealing a lot from that sequence in the in the coming years. But like, no, I thought it was I, I, the, the whole film was great. The methodical nature of it was really interesting. And um, there's these weird like echoes to Fight Club too, like the idea of. Um, I, I don't want to give spoilers and things like that, but there's a whole thing about trying to replicate a fob key and the fact that it becomes an Amazon package it gets delivered in order for him to be able to do that. It's just, it's the, all of that, all of those little things you get about the materialism and the consumerism in Fight Club coming through in this film too. So I I I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And yeah, but you, it was nice to watch it in a cinema as well, which yeah. was good with, yeah. a, with, a, with a big crowd of, of an audience. Um, all right. So uh, Gareth, what would you give The Killer? You're obviously not officially affiliated out of, to Empire. Out of five? You go, yeah, you can go wild. Yeah, Four. five. Four? Four. I believe okay. that was yeah. the I believe that's what we have. Yeah. 
Gareth Evans disses David Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Missing Star? Yells uh, Fight Club it'll, it'll come after my second watch. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth Evans backtracks brilliantly. <laughs> Uh, Jimbo, let's let's go next to you. Um, we'll talk, we'll finish off a dream scenario because uh, you have watched in shock news a film <laughs> this week. Yes, not how just was the TV it? Are you shows. okay? Do you want? Well, it was like a TV show, but shorter, <laughs> and there was uh, only what, one of them. What was the film? Uh, it was Fingernails. Fingernails, Fingernails, which is on Apple TV Plus. Which is on Apple TV Plus. Right now. Okay, tell the good folks. Uh, so this is a film directed by uh, Christos Niku, and it's um, it stars Jesse Buckley as a woman in a relationship with Jeremy Allen White's character, uh, and they've been together for a while. She's having some doubts, but they're living in a world where you can find out if you're in love with people, because there is a place called the Love Institute, and they can use your fingernails to find out whether you're in love. So no, you know, like, there have been a couple of TV shows like True and One or whatever it is, where you've been able to get tested to find out if you're with your soulmate or if someone is compatible with you. God, there's an episode of fucking Farscape that did the same thing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but this isn't that. It literally is to tell whether you are in love, which I thought was a really interesting distinction. But crucially also, they don't just take your fingernail clippings. They pull your fingernail out by the root with fucking pliers and put them in a microwave. This is oh. absolutely true. And burn them. And then the machine says, yes, you're in love. Uh, so we should all try that. And um, genuinely so, no. So no. yeah, so she and her partner, Jeremy Allen White, have, have done the test at the Institute. And they are in love, it has confirmed. But she's still feeling a bit weird. So she gets a job. She doesn't tell him, crucially. And she gets a job working at the Institute. Because where the Institute works is, before you get your fingernails pulled out with pliers. <laughs> and Jack Ademus, Or just... <laughs> That's a fucking That's music class. Yeah, so timely. So timely. <laughs> know your audience. Um, yes. Before Shakadima suppliers pull out your fingernails. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You go on a course to make sure you pass the test. So they try and make people fall in love. So they send them skydiving together. They get them to sniff each other. This is true. Uh, and do all kinds of like, this is absolutely true. Uh, and they, they try and sort of like coach them into, into, into getting a deeper relationship they even send them to a Hugh Grant movie retrospective because and it says on the billboard nobody knows to love like Hugh Grant <laughs> <laughs> love actually will do that and um so she goes to work at this institute and she starts to have feelings for Rizama's character, Amir. And obviously this is confusing to her because the test has confirmed that she is in love with her partner and he is in love with her and yet she feels split. And there's that sense that can you love more than one person? You know, what is love? Do people know when they're in love? And I Baby, thought, don't hurt me. <laughs> I hate you. Um, <laughs> no, but genuinely, like, I really love the idea of this. It was like, it was the, the sort of the uncertainty of love and how people feel love differently and how everyone is constantly, especially in this sort of digital commodified age, app dating, whatnot, how everyone is constantly searching to fill this void inside them. And whether people settle and how they settle and what they're looking for and what they settle for. And it's, you know, yes, she loves her partner, but is loving someone and being in love the same thing. And it explores all this stuff with this kind of very wistful melancholy. Uh, and I thought it was beautifully, really understated for Jesse Butley's great. Uh, it's a really lovely little film. It's it's an odd film. I don't think it's for everyone. You know, as I said, fucking fingernails, pliers. Uh, but, you know, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I thought I had a lot to say about, you know, love in the modern age and, and how people relate to each other. So, yeah, nice little film. Wow. What do we give it? Stars. Um, <laughs> we, stars. Give, we give it four stars. No, we give it four stars. Four I'm good. stars. I'm good. I'm glad you Googled There's that. a theme. 
we'll, yeah. we'll see how that goes. We gave it four stars, the same rating as David Fincher's The Killer. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the hard pass on the fingernail thing. Yeah. No. It's, I mean, it's deep. They genuinely put and they make them bite down on things. Get the plus. Of course they fucking do. Jesus. Yeah. Four stars in for fingernails. Hell spells. Uh, Anatomy Hello. of a Fall is yeah, next. Yeah, it is. Yeah, this one did very, very well at Cannes and deservedly so. They won the Pam Door and more importantly, the Pam Dog. Yes. The best performance by a dog in a film during the festival. So you know it's real. Um, so this is the story of an author, uh, Sandra Voiser, played by Sandra Huller. Who is um, who is arrested after the death of her husband Samuel, played by Samuel uh, Teus, I think, um, after his body is found uh, outside their sort of chalet home outside Grenoble in France. Um, now she says she didn't do anything. He, f- he must have fallen out the window while he was working up in the in the roof space. There are reasons to suspect her. It is field it is felt, and this basically becomes a trial movie. But what's, what's interesting, especially for us who are not French for the most part, I don't know all of your lives, oui. but um, <laughs> I believe so. Um, Très bien. It's it's an insight into a different legal system. So here we have what's called an adversarial process, where there's like the prosecution and defense, and they like fight with each other <laughs> until we get to oh my god, this is Wake the up, adversarial James. process. <laughs> yeah. Right. So basically, the prosecution and the defense fight with each other until they, you know, decide who done it, right? But they don't. <laughs> yeah, they do. You want to keep going? Look, I'm trying to get through this as quickly as possible. You said this every podcast. <laughs> In the French system, it's meant to be more investigative. So the judge kind of takes the role of Columbo. Um, Columbo. See, I'm, I'm trying to bring Chris back in, you see? So the judge can literally, like, you know, turn from the defendant and go, so you're saying this, okay, and then turn to the prosecution and go, well, how do you answer that? And sort of, there's a lot more kind of interaction. Um, and it's kind of a really interesting... It makes for a more interesting courtroom drama, basically. And this is a really fascinating courtroom drama because through flashbacks, we see this marriage kind of laid bare. We see all the awkward bits that they never wanted to talk about. We see the really, you know, the innermost secrets of the way they felt about each other. We see the bits that they wouldn't admit to outsiders. We see all the secrets that they've kept from each other. And it's all kind of just all of the dirty washing just laid out for the entire world to see and everything you know, obviously being painted in its worst possible light given his death. So it is really this um, really gripping drama. I should say it is two and a half hours long. Um, um, but the director, Justine Trier, does such a good job of just keeping the tension up. You don't know what to think. You don't know who to sympathize with exactly. You're not sure what happens, you know, and and it really keeps you kind of gripped for the whole the whole run of the thing. Formidable. Um, Absolutely. How does Columbo fit into it? Um, I mean, I said like Columbo. I didn't say literal oh, well, Peter Falk turns that's out. That's not as good. I can't, I can't deliver that. I wish I could, Chris. Okay. I wish I could. Uh, what do we give it? Sounds great. I can't four wait stars? to see it. Four stars? Four stars, yeah. Quatre étoiles. Quatre étoiles, c'est ça. Étoiles. Voilà. There you go. There you go. Um, Take but I should, all, should also say, uh, Sandra Huller is having a, an incredible year. She's also in a film, uh, Zone of Interest, which was also at Cannes. She's incredible in that as well. This is superb, superb work from her in both films. Amazing. Um, Gareth, earlier on, we were talking about uh, that you'd been to Budapest either recently or not recently. I <laughs> must confess I wasn't listening to that part. But <laughs> Budapest. It's okay, it's fine. Did you visit the Statue of Colombo? 
unfortunately no I was there for a location scout so they didn't and why the there. fuck aren't you location scouting the statue of Colombo there could be a shootout I, around the statue of Colombo I, I can make a complaint uh, uh. yes please do uh, for those who don't know it there is this I'm not making this up this is, is it, it. I've fucking it? seen it in look at him he's so angry <laughs> it's there amazing there is a statue yeah. of Colombo the greatest television character of all time uh, with his dog, dog, uh, and it's in uh, like a Peter Falk. It's, the, the square is named after Peter Falk, who had Hungarian ancestry. Which was they were like, yeah, that's good enough. Just stick a statue of Colombo up, I guess. I have never been. I will go. Maybe immediately after this. Okay. Who knows? Uh, we're going to finish off the review section, and then we're going to do the Q and A bit uh, by talking about dream scenario, the film that I. Uh, set up about 15 minutes ago and then forgot to actually finish. Uh, Hell's Bells. Yes. Uh, so this is directed by Christopher Borgley, but uh, it stars Nicolas Cage as Paul Matthews, who is a mild-mannered college professor um, who is kind of just just jogging along through life, you know, vaguely thinking about writing a book, but and this is crucial, not actually writing it. You know, he's just kind of getting by. And then people start looking at him funny and reacting to him funnily. And it turns out that he is appearing in people's dreams. He's just like there standing in the background usually, but he's in all of these people's dreams. People who've never met him, people who have no idea who he is, are seeing this mild-mannered college professor in their dreams. And so he kind of becomes a weird sort of famous. And um, and it's it's really all about how that affects him, that his life, how that affects other people in the world, what, how they react to him. Um, and, it, and it goes to some fairly uncomfortable, let's say, places without getting far too far into spoilers. Mm. It, it's obviously like a metaphor for, you know, the way we interact on social media, what happens when you gain a measure of, of notoriety where you go viral, you know, all of these ways that, that fame can deform you. Nicolas Cage has given some really interesting interviews talking to, about how he reacted to this story as someone who has now been famous for sort of 35 years more, or more. Um, but it's it's just a really fascinating, weird premise for a film and it's pretty well explored. I mean, we were, we went to see this together mm. and there was a moment, I mean, both of us talked about it, but I, I, I certainly felt a moment sort of two thirds of the way through where I was like, I don't know where they go from here. I don't know where this story, mm. you know, ends up. I don't know how they're going to kind of bring this home as a weird concept that isn't really explained. But I feel like they got somewhere with it. Yeah, I think it's weird because I think it simultaneously loses focus and the run of itself a little bit towards the end. And its ambitions become too great. And it's trying to skewer too many things at once. And so it loses uh, it loses it, its narrative shape and it loses its 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 focus on the Paul Matthews character. That said, it has the best ending of any film I've seen this year, uh, and I thought it was absolutely perfect. And it kind of it made me happy and sad and teared up a little bit. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful ending, uh, and I think it's a really, really great film. And I would honestly, I mean, I haven't seen every film that's in Oscar contention. Cage should be nominated, and I am off of mind to give him the Oscar right now. He is phenomenal in this film. Is Nick Cage? You've never seen it before. All the histrionics are tampered down. Uh, he is very much playing the ultimate sad sack. Uh, he is someone who is he. He does his incredible job of 
walking this fine line where you are sympathetic towards him and you also think he's a prick at the same time and he does that for like two hours it's, it's an incredible balancing act as an actor uh, and I think the film does that as well it starts out as really really funny comedy and then at some point it's almost imperceptible becomes one of the creepiest horror films of the year it's really imperceptible but once you're in it it you're in it uh, and then it becomes a comedy again kind of towards the end uh, I think and it's a tragedy and a tragedy as well but there's so much going on here the director is a debutante isn't he I believe so yeah uh, and he also edited the film he's got a really really great control of composition and uh, you know and and uh, and and how he constructs the film is really 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 beautiful uh, I was really struck by it really wild by it there's one scene in particular that is so uncomfortable and weird and unsettling and uh, funny and darkly comedic. Um, and yeah, you'll know it when you see it. That's all I'm going to say to that one. I, yeah, I loved it. We gave it four stars, but I, I would be edging towards five if it hadn't just, I think, gone off the rails a little bit towards the end. But yeah, really, really great. Dream scenario. It's a four star week. It is a four star It's week, a four yeah. star week. Look at that. Look at that. Happens very, very rarely. Cinema, isn't it great? <laughs> Isn't it great? Uh, speaking of cinema, it's time for another guest, but this isn't a guest that's going to be in the room um, unless we can magically summon her. Nia DaCosta? No. Um, so uh, we have, uh, this is going to be piped into the show. Is that what you do with these things? They're going to be piped into the show when you listen to it. Uh, Nia DaCosta, the director of the Marvels. Uh, I spoke to her earlier on last week in a London junkety type situation about the Marvels and about you know adjusting to working within the MCU. So this is what you're going to hear if you listen to this at home. And you're going to hear nothing now in the room. Here's Nia DaCosta. Enjoy. Welcome to the Upper Podcast, Nia DaCosta. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Ordinarily, we'd be, we'd be doing a spoiler special and I've seen the whole film uh, by now. We'd be delving <laughs> into it, but yeah. they've only shown us 20 minutes of the mm-hmm. movie. So you just tell the, the folks at home mm-hmm. what happens in the other hour and a half or so. Which uh, is after a lot we... of stuff happens. <laughs> and there's some flying, there's some powers, um, and there's some heroes. There we go. Yeah. Done. Thanks for coming. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think we did it. Oh, my God. Uh, what was your pitch? How did you... It's so specific to what the movie is. Yeah. So it's sort of like the movie was my <laughs> was my pitch in a way, but um, you pre-made the movie and then exactly, showed it to exactly, and that's what we're releasing. Um, <laughs> no, I I really connected with the three of them together. They're sort of you know having to come together throughout the course of the film and how each of their individual like struggles resolving that meant like resolving the relationship with each other mm. and so that I saw that when I got the like the outline that they had for the movie and because it was a script the script already existed uh, there was no the script yeah but it was okay. a big outline yeah and okay. this is what I was pitching um, and and I was like oh I identify with this so I connect with this and so that's what I kind of pitched towards and I kind of expanded on how I think that could be drawn out in the film and then since I love space I was like and so here's a moon and here's this a nebula and here's this and then there's some movies that I really love that I thought could be a uh, good reference or like whether it's like the opening sort of chase scene in Casino Royale or the bathroom fight in Mission Impossible 6 like those sorts oh, of wow. touchstones fight scenes are very important to me so yeah. um, and we have some really great ones in the movie that I'm, that I'm really proud of and excited about so it was like kind of running the gamut from like the emotional character stuff to here's how I'd execute um, basically t- the types of scenes I haven't done myself before. I want to dig into the fight scenes for sure, but uh, mm. I also want to talk about the, the emotional connection here mm. because, yeah. I, again, I've only seen 20 minutes. Yeah. But I, I have to say, um, whenever, spoiler alert, 
Carol uh, meets uh, Monica. Yeah. She calls her Lieutenant Trouble. Yeah. And I got really touched yeah. by that. And I think some people might forget that those mm-hmm, characters mm-hmm. are connected yeah. in that way. And then obviously you have this really, really fun sort of fangirl relationship mm-hmm. yeah, with yeah. Kamala and Carol. And uh, it's just going to be really, really interesting. But there's a really, there's a, there's a big mm. emotional core there to mind, yeah. particularly with Carol and Monica that yeah. must have been exciting for you. It was so exciting. It was really great. It's also really funny because they look the same age, yet Carol is yes. like her aunt, essentially. Yeah. So that was always fun to be like, these women who are peers uh, are like, she's like, I'm mad you left me when I was younger. Um, but it's really, really touching as well because you get to, like, Monica's dealing with so much grief. She's lost her mother, um, and then she loses her aunt in, in a different way. And I just found that, like, I really wanted to dig into that more after seeing her in WandaVision because um, she's dealing so much with, like, Wanda's uh, massive issues. So, um so this is a really great chance for that. And then also, on the other hand, you have Kamala's sort of emotional center as her family. Yeah. And so having the Khan family as a sort of foil um, or representation to what Monica and Carol could have, I thought was really special and something I wanted to, like, dig into more. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's fascinating. And there's also the idea that uh, it's been explored a bit in the MCU post-Endgame mm-hmm. about the blip and coming back from the blip yeah. and, the, and the dislocation that Monica went through that, of yeah. course, you know, the, 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 the idea that something... <laughs> Time is gone. Yeah. You lose people. Yeah. And Carol's got this interesting relationship with Monica. She was a little girl. It's, it's like yeah. the blip times 10. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of, I'm sensing mm. on Monica's side, there's a lot of pain mm-hmm. there that yeah. she almost blames Carol in a way for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For going across and saving, going away and saving the universe and leaving exactly. her, maybe leaving her mother as well. Yeah. I think that's definitely a huge part of the relationship, what they have to get through while they're also trying to stop an evil space emperor from terrible <laughs> things. <laughs> you know, nothing ever happens at once in life, you know, when it rains, no. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's always an evil space emperor. Exactly. Always. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So so this outline that you were um, that you were coming in to pitch on, did that have the, the switching element or was that mm-hmm. something? Yeah, 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 yeah sure. okay. Because yeah. that's really fun. And I imagine the best. from a scheduling standpoint from a directorial standpoint mm. that must have been did that drive you nuts in the editing suite you know, or once we oh the edit I mean I said editors have fun figure it out um, <laughs> here's but once, footage I know here's footage but, um, but I think for them initially they were like what the hell because like, you, you're also doing like all these VFX plates and so there's like there's one shot that you'll see at the like when the movie's done but we've done several different setups for that one shot and then you put them all together like in layers sort of so you have the first person then you have the second person who switches in or switches out and what their action is and then you have to do like the background play and you you know you layer it on on, on top of each other then you have the vfx and it's just a lot to keep track of but once you kind of end up in a place where you know you're in month two of the shoot you're like okay yeah we know what we know what everything is now great 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 we know how to plan this we know how to organize it it becomes you know just uh part of the process We've seen from the trailer, obviously, that that, that Carol and Kamala do mm-hmm. share screen time. Mm-hmm. But there, you have this lovely, because of the relationship, because mm-hmm. the way that Kamala idolizes yeah. her, um, you have this lovely idea of you know, what would happen. You just keep them apart mm-hmm. for, for as long as possible. But mm-hmm. the temptation must have been to throw her in, throw them in mm-hmm. together into the same scene uh, a little earlier. Uh, well, I, you know, actually, I think we always were excited to just, like, meet Kamala and see what she's like. Yeah. And also... It was really important in the beginning to just disorient all of them, so they're not really sure like what's going on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then when they're finally together, it's like, oh wow, great! Like, what a relief. We finally got them to you know do the thing we've been wondering about, which is like, how are they going to react when they actually meet for the first time? So it was always sort of that sort of pace of things, I would say. 
You, you talked earlier on about, you know, one of the ways into this was the sort of connective tissue between the three of them. For, mm. for you, what is that? Uh, apart from, you know, mm. there's obvious connections, but mm-hmm. is there a thematic link between, yeah, between the characters sure. for you, an emotional link between the characters that, that, that isn't, that, that's going to be explored further in the, in the film? Yeah, uh, family is a really big yeah. uh, theme in the film. And, and sort of the question of how can you at once, like, protect your family, if that means you have to be away from them for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and and something one of the characters says in the film is like, you know, remember why you're out there. I remember to come home. And so home is another really important um, aspect of of the film and, and, and the relationship to home and family, which they sort of explore together. Because as I was saying before, like seeing Kamala's family is a reminder to Carol and Monica to what they could have. And I think yeah. that connects them all as well. And then they become a family, obviously, because it's a it's a happy movie. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of their their through line. Because again, that's something really interesting to explore. This idea that you know mm-hmm. Carol, you know, doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have a a family, doesn't have a life on Earth, but could have done, mm-hmm. could have chosen to to do that. But she's chosen instead to go mm-hmm. gallivanting across the galaxy. Yeah, um, and we also show what was important to me in this film was to show what had Carol been doing. Who yeah. who was her community out outside from Monica and, and the people on Earth aside from Nick Fury, and we get to show some of that in the film, which is really exciting. Excellent. And then, of course, you have you have mm-hmm. Monica, who's lost pretty much everything that's gone through traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. And then you have, and, and, and again, this isn't the footage we saw, this this moment where, you know, it's been, it's been fun and games for Kamala mm. up until now, but yeah. then suddenly something crashes into her, her helm and yeah. disrupts her family life. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a happy film, as you say, but that's, that's something interesting, you know, the, yeah. this idea of, you know, the chickens coming home to roost. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I. I mean, I. I uh, definitely had to temper my darker instincts a lot <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when you know, like developing the film and also directing, because I'm always trying to go into like the dark. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, how yeah. do we? Because it's. I you mean, just come real, off man, for God's sake. I know. Sake. I had exactly, and then my next thing is like so like <laughs> insane. Um, <laughs> and so for this, it's like, you know, truly, it is pure trauma like monica's lost her mother her aunt's like bye girl um you know kamala ends up like in places she should not be in as a 16 year old girl regardless of her having powers and then carol has kind of isolated herself and feels alone inside of this experience of being seen as someone who has to protect the entire universe so i really wanted to see like what does that feel like yeah. and how can the th- the three of them bring lift each other up basically i, w- I want to talk about how you as a director impose your vision and your personality mm. on on a project that is, if I'm right in thinking, the 34th MCU movie. I heard 33rd today. 33rd? Yeah, it might be 33rd. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to, you know, I, I usually get this stuff right. Mm. I've got a cold, in fairness. Um, <laughs> it is 33rd. It is, mm. it is 33rd. Um, and, you know, and, 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 and over the last few years, mm. there have been directors, numerous directors in the MCU who have been able to do that. But how do you do that within this yeah. framework, this massive juggernaut? Yeah. That is just moving forward. How do you impose yeah. yourself on that? Um, well, I think it's a sort of, it's a constant conversation. It's a give and a take and it's a back and forth. And and it's staying realistic, I think. Um, and also like in the mode of like what Ryan Coogler told me, you know, just be yourself. It's like yeah. bring everything you have to it. Like all you, all that's going to be there at the end of the day is what you brought to it. Yeah. Um, and the same thing for the actors. Like that is something I talked to Zowie a lot about. Like, in terms of performance, in terms of what ends up on, on the screen at the end of the day. It's like, bring everything you have. And then there's the conversation, there's a negotiation. Marvel, at the end of the day, is like, 
determines exactly what the film's going to be at the end. But like you, you have this back and forth, and you bring everything you have, and and um, and it is what what ends up at the end of the day in the film. Uh, there's been stories over the years about how whenever actors are you know on the on the cusp of signing on. Mm. You know, you know Tom Holland or or Chris mm-hmm. Evans or something like that. Then, then they would have called Downey, or Downey would have got in touch with them yeah, and yeah, gone, yeah. "Hey, Dorian, it's gonna the be fine." Of, uh, yeah, welcome, Marvel, welcome to yeah. the MCU. Don't worry, it's fine. The, yeah. the, the drinks are over there. You'll, you'll be you'll be totally yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. Is it the same for directors? Mm. I mean, did you reach out to to Ryan Coogler? Did you reach out to other directors who had worked yeah, in the MCU? Yeah, then? I mean, right after I got the job, the first thing uh, they say is, "Talk to the directors, call them." Yeah, um, because it is like a really great community of people who've like gone through the experience, have done it, some of them multiple times. And so, yeah, I called so many people in the process. Um, because my main thing was sort of like, you know, yes, I want to do a Marvel movie. Yes, I want to play in this world. But I wanted to actually have a fulfilling and good time doing it. Yeah, of course. Um, and I wanted to make sure that's what it would actually be. And obviously, it's hard and it's stressful. And, like, a lot of us came from much smaller films before we came into this space. And, um yeah, so it was great talking to James and Taika and Chloe and Ryan and Destin. A lot of talking to Destin um, <laughs> and Anna and Ryan. Um, you know, it just uh, it's really nice to know that there are people there who are so open and willing to be like, oh, yeah, I got your back. I know exactly what this is right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Don't stress about that. But maybe this you should just stress about, you know. Yeah. Um, it was great. There's another thing about taking on something like this where you have – you know, you're not just inheriting Sam Jackson, mm. who has been in more of these things than anybody else. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're not just inheriting Brie. You're inheriting uh, Iman and you're, you're you know, working again with Mationa, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'm always fascinated by that, by how a director works with an actor who has already established a performance. Mm, yeah. And how do you do that when you're, <laughs> when you're working on, you know, Sam Jackson? There's nothing he doesn't know about. Nick For Fury, sure. Nick Fury, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but how, do you, how do you do that? How, how do you work with those, those actors and... Bring out um, something new. Overall, like no matter who I'm working with, I try to just create a good space, an open space, yeah. a safe space that so that they feel like they can try anything and we can like workshop anything. And but also it depends on the actor. If they're gonna be open and let me into the process the way Brie did. Brie was super open about about the character. Sam too was um, you know he I mean also it's like when Sam's been in more more of these movies and he does a take, you're like, Well, that's I think we got it. You know what I mean? But he also was very much like, what about this? What do you think about this? Like, do you want me to do it more like this? You know, like there was, there was, they were all so open. Um, And also in a really great way, it was good for me because I could talk to like a lot of the members of the Khan family, like Zenobia and Sagar and just say, you know, what, what, what's like, how do you want to develop this character? There's something I asked like Sagar, for example. And it was fun to be able to like work together to create a different, like look for, for a mirror in the movie um and then one at one point we were doing a stunt and um and uh mohan's yusuf like covers you know his wife in the shot and zenobia was like it, it would be the opposite and so in the movie and the scene you saw actually you mm-hmm. know one of them's about to get attacked and she, she jumps on and, and, and protects him and it's great to have that feedback so i love working with actors who've established the character who know the character because you know you you both get to kind of shepherd it into into a new iteration well, what's the what's the shot that you're most proud of in the film? The shot? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I have no idea, but I will say I'm super proud of um, our first big set piece. It's um, from script to development to screen. It was like the probably the most clear and smooth sort of like uh, pro- progression. I'd say. Is that the one I've seen where they switch? Yeah, all yeah, switch? yeah, yeah, yeah. Big yeah. like everyone's like, where the, what the hell's going on? I yeah. really love that. 
because you have that lovely shot. I mean, you know, there's of 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 Carol floating into space, which mm-hmm. I thought, I thought, oh yes, hello. I mean, yeah. some beautiful visuals uh, yeah, from what I've seen yeah. already. Yeah, I love that shot too. Yeah. It's much longer. <laughs> and then they were like, ran it in. <laughs> it was a four-hour Kubrick cut. I know, let's do it. Yeah, like, you know, like truly, I was like, yeah. and they were like, girl, please. Uh, and real quick, you talked about the, the fight scenes a little bit and how you and how you did them. But um, you know, as a as a fight scene connoisseur, mm. you know, with with the the full weight of the Marvel machine behind you, yeah. you, you nothing's off the table, right? You must be able to do pretty nothing much anything you want. It's amazing. Yeah, it's truly. I mean, we had even like. I mean, truly, what I what was so exciting for me about coming into this is that Marvel was like. Really, the stuff they wanted to do was so cool and so crazy. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, ooh, how are we going to pull this all off? Um, and I had the best stunt team. Joe McLaren was our coordinator. Um, and our fight coordinator was actually Liang. He was in and choreographed that scene I love from Mission Impossible 6. Oh, and he's the guy. He's the guy. He's I the mean, guy. he's just, he's also just like the nicest, most amazing, most like humble. I was like, you're a genius. And he was like, um, he's like, doesn't even engage, you know, but, um, really getting, being able to like share my enthusiasm and say, okay, I want to kind of want to do this. I think this would be cool. And then them going away and like creating something really amazing and, and us figuring out how to shoot it. And Sean and Pung, my second unit director, just, it was, it was so fun. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, well, yeah, I've got to let you go. Um, just want to ask real, real quick one last question. Mm. What about Goose? How, how do you do fight scenes with the cat? Um, I mean, the cat, the real cats try to fight us sometimes, but. Um... <laughs> Um, but um, a lot of amazing mix of real cats, my amazing VFX team, and um, yanking people up on wires when they're meant to get swallowed by by goose. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the physics of that, I'm I'm trying to get my head around. It but makes it's sense. Terrifying. It, it makes sense. Perfect I think sense. Einstein had a theory about it somewhere. It's in yeah. one of his notebooks. Exactly. I think, yeah. Lost. Flurkins. Yeah. Exactly. The, the yeah. Flurkin Journal. Whole, whole yeah. notebook about it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. Neil DeCosta, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so, so much. Great. No, Thank you. amazing. Okay, that was <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. I thought my questions were insightful but playful, um, and I didn't ask her about fucking comic book movies, which is weird because she was promoting one. Uh, right, so that was Nia DaCosta, and now it's time for you guys. If you want to, you, you may not. In which case, this is going to be a really embarrassing end to the podcast. Ask us and Gareth. Anything you want at all. Uh, we have a Rovi microphone, don't we? Yeah. Yes, Darren. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And there are hands. Darren, you can choose the first person. Darren, who is responsible for bringing us here today. Thank you very much to that Darren for doing so. the closest person. <laughs> you are so lazy. Uh, hi there. Uh, this is one for Gareth, really. Oh, for um, fuck's sake. <laughs> Sorry, guys, but, you know, we've got to do a guest. That's um, right. When I first came across the the raid um it was because i'd seen the claymation animation <laughs> yeah uh, it was by clay cat i just wondered what, yeah, your, Castle. Yeah. what your view of it was whether you know how you um did you endorse it or was it just something that just just came and had a life yeah a hundred percent i think when um when they were getting ready to do the release i think because i know lee who did the animation is is british based and um mm. and so i think it might have been uh, Momentum, who had the sorry, because it's, ch- it's changed hands. It was like with Momentum, then E1, and then now I think it's about to become Lionsgate at some point. So, it, but I think it was Momentum who had the rights to the first film, and I think they they were the ones maybe who uh, commissioned him to do the the the, the clay cat version of the raid. 
Um, so I, I, obviously we got to see it and, and loved it. Thought he did a fantastic job on it. And it was so much fun that um, we asked him if we could get like uh, a copy of the, the character of the clay cats from the raid. So if eagle-eyed viewers during the car chase of the raid too we graffitied it on on a, on a concrete pillar during the car chase of the raid too so yeah i i loved what he did with that three brown long time listening to the uh, podcast first I'm time so sorry. seeing you live um and because you're coming out of london i had uh it's a big occasion for us up here so uh i, I know the, the people lined the streets as we left <laughs> Leeds train station. So I had a commemorative T-shirt made up, and Chris, I wondered if you'd mind signing it. Um, it's for me uh, your finest hour. It's oh it probably it relates back to a film from years ago. You probably don't even remember it, but you loved it at the time. Don't you fucking dare! I have a, <laughs> it's the oh original Jesus print of your uh, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Five stars. You loved it. So I did. I that did. Is, that is some god level trolling, and I respect you. <laughs> you want to sign this for me? I will afterwards. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to be wearing it, and I might do a stabbing motion with the pen. <laughs> Thank you for your question. <laughs> that was really more of a comment. Yeah, yeah. I would say. Laser. Uh, yes, please. I'm going to choose someone. There's a yes over here with your hand and you're doing that sign. A which hat? I, yeah, a hat. you got a that hand rude, and a hat. That rude sign. That you're yeah. Um, I've got a question for Gareth. Um, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, um, is it easier to direct a film when you're working on a higher budget and what adjustments do you make? <laughs> If you make, if you're like dealing with a higher or lower budget, oh, <laughs> you bastard! Um, <laughs> um, it, it's a it's it's a weird thing, but um, when we were doing Havoc, for example, it's like the budget was much 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 higher than anything I've done previously. But um, you kind of have to put in your mind that every day is the same, no matter no matter what the budget range is. So it's still people pretending to be characters you've written. It's still where you're going to put the camera. It's still what the, where the lights are going to go. It's still what's required from every department. So day to day, there's nothing different to it. Uh, the difference is the sort of, I guess, the pressure of the level of scrutiny because it's like um, when we did the raid, for example, no one knew what we were up to. No one had any clue what we were making. And... Um, it was this weird moment on set. I think we were maybe like uh, two thirds of the way through the shoot. We'd been sending rough cuts to our sales agents at the time so they could take footage off to the Cannes film market to try to pre-sale it. And um, so we were like two thirds of the way through the shoot and then suddenly I get a message saying that Sony had picked it up. Um, so there was this weird moment on set then where we were like, oh fuck, it's, it's, it's going to have a proper release. It's going to get seen. Because um, uh, we were all super naive at that time um and and so we we had this weird thing we were like right well let's just keep doing what we what we're doing whatever we're doing must be okay um and so we just proceeded with that and and i guess throughout since then since that moment i've tried to always kind of rely on my gut instincts because i guess in a way i'd rather i'd rather own my mistakes than second guess myself and then own someone else's and it's kind of hard sometimes to to maintain that the the higher the budget because there's much there's many many more voices that that, that creep in, but um, in in essence, it's kind of as much as I will maintain the sort of the drive and the vision of what the film needs to be. 
there's also a part of you that <laughs> needs to listen for the good ideas that will come in. Um, so it, it's a, it's a, it's a weird balance between it. So like, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have really good creative producers that I've worked with in the past where, uh, and up until now as well, where when I get given notes from my producers, I'm, I'm not sort of shutting them off because quite often they're really good, smart notes and really good suggestions that'll help us, um, spend money in the right places for a film. So I, I think the money helps us do bigger things on screen. So like when we did the raid one, it was very much like I couldn't afford to do certain stunts. So we just, we, we had to be a bit more creative with what the action was going to be. Um, but on the raid two, then I got to, <laughs> got to close roads and drive cars everywhere. But even then, like it was, it's, it's, it's all stages, it's all levels. So like we couldn't do like a, a fast and the furious in the raid two. Like we couldn't afford to smash 15 cars on in the street with a truck. Um, I think we had, we had about seven cars total. So that's why we designed the car chase where it was more about the cars almost kind of just the, the, the fight of cars bumping against each other and chipping away at the, the, the cars bit by bit. And that was sort of the, the way we designed that sequence. And so it's using what you've got and then hopefully bit by bit, you can keep going up. But to be honest, when it comes to every project, it's not about always pushing to have more to spend and make things bigger. I think sometimes you get to a point where you, like, you end up, pardon the criticized Fast and Furious, you end up going to fucking space. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, sometimes it's more about, well, when do you learn to pull back and when do you learn to kind of like keep it small, keep it contained, and then maybe tell something that's more personal in the action within that. And so we've always tried to do with the whole thing of like storytelling and character through action. And that's always been fundamentally what we've uh, attempted to do with whatever the project is. So hope you get more, more of a sort of a, a more of that audience connection to the scene because it's not just big spectacle here, there and everywhere. It's, it's about the people. I've got a question for Gareth Evans. Um, were you ever tempted to take any of those, those bigger projects that came your way? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> May, may, mainly because um, I have this obsession with world build. Yeah. I, I like being at the start of world build. It's, it's one of the, the most fun parts of any project. And if I'm doing part three or part four or something, I'm kind of being brought in to sort of just, you know, make sure it's on budget and on time. Yeah. I want to I want to be part of that world build. I want to be part of like helping discuss with characters what their character is going to be like, what their what their personality is going to be like. And, you know, what, you know, creating the Gotham of wherever, you know, city that this story is being told in. And you don't get to do that as much when you're joining a franchise that's already pretty well established. So that's always been my thing. I also have a weird, I have this weird um, response that my, my agents probably hate mm. uh, about me. But if I'm reading a script that gets sent to me, if there's one scene in there that I, that, that, that bumps for me in terms of, I don't know, like, like if something just feels like, ah, uh, I hate that when I see that in other movies. I never want to be on a set not knowing if a take is good because it's not naturally part of my instincts as a filmmaker. Gotcha. So that, like, as soon as I see that scene and if it's, like, being sent to me where they're like, oh, this this script's ready to go. No, it's not. <laughs> in my head. So then, then I'm not the right person for that job. So sometimes it can literally be one scene or a little something, something that kind of, like, pulls me out. And then I'm like, mm, I don't want to be on set watching a take of that and just being like, I think we got it. I always want to know we've got it. So yeah, fair enough. Uh, yes, please. Thank you, sir. 
So I've got a choice of questions I want to give to you. Just oh, two. Options. I like just options. Two. One's highbrow, Powell and Pressburger related. One is That's for Helen. Lego related. That's for us. Which one would you like? Lego. <laughs> so obviously there's a lot of IP that's been give given yeah. the Lego treatment. Most recently the Lego Dune. Dune! Ornithopter, orthopter thing. Yeah. What other kind of obvious IP that's been missing so far from the Lego canon needs Lego Everything treatment. by Powell and Pressburger. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely black narcissus yeah. kind of, yeah, scene, yeah. We discussed this on, uh, we, we just did a Powell and Pressburger special. I don't know if you've listened to that. Not yet, sorry. It's really good. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> where we discussed the work of Powell and Pressburger and we interviewed Thelma Schoonmaker and uh, Kevin McDonald. Uh, about about them, uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, who's Martin Scorsese's editor, uh, was married to Michael Powell, and Kevin McDonald, the Scottish filmmaker, is the grandson of Emmerich Pressburger. So they were very well placed to talk about that. Uh, so their interview was brilliant and intelligent and erudite. And then us fucking giggling idiots came in and started talking about which uh, Powell and Pressburger film would make the best Lego set. And we decided it a would be a matter of life and death, and death with yeah. the, the staircase. I wasn't on that, but I knew that answer. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, but then Black Narcissus as well, yeah. Um, but that would be a good one. Uh, what 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 film is, mis is underrepresented or not represented at all? Uh, Evil Dead 2. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I gotta go for it. Oh, the Event Horizon. We, you know, we oh, Event Horizon. Yeah. Like I said, no but, aliens. Alien Queen versus Paolo to play set. Oh, Must make that happen. That'd be good. That'd be really good. But if you're, District if you're, Nine might be good actually. District Nine would be good. But if you're thinking about like builds, like the Evil Dead Two cabin would be amazing because then you could like. You could it could be you could pull it apart to have different sections. You could have the the basement going down with with Henrietta in the basement. You could have all sorts of stuff. You could have the the woodshed. You could have a bit of a bit of the forest around it. You could have a little ash minifig that would be amazing. Tiny Lego hand. Oh, little tiny it. Lego hand. It would be incredible. Uh, yes, Evil Dead Two. I know I say that to every That's answer. Your answer to every. I know, but it's because it's the greatest film ever made. Is it though? I, I love it, but you're wrong. But um, <laughs> big. I, I love Evil Dead, but I mean, Big Trouble in Little China would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you answer. thank you for the one clap <laughs> the pork chop express yes yeah. Oh, yeah. okay that's pretty good yeah. low pans layer <laughs> would you uh would you like to see a raid lego set <laughs> no i'm that's uh, i'm too self-deprecating <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me embarrassing questions how about how about little shop of horrors with mr oh, yeah. come on and the dentist surgery <gasps> and the, all the Skid Row. Skid Row, generally. I think it'd be great. I would build that entire thing. And you'd have different sizes of Audrey too, That'd leading up to the big one with the tentacles. Ah, I've sold myself. The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to do a river of shit in Lego? What is brown Shit not brown included. <laughs> I will provide the shit. No. Well, you asked. No. What do you, you want? Everything. Next question. <laughs> no. I'd be bricking it. No. Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's applause worthy, surely. No. I'm going to beg for applause now. Jimbo, you got a Lego set apart from aliens? Apart from my aliens. Maybe if you talk about Evil Dead 2 being my answer to everything, aliens yeah. is your answer to everything. I don't know. Like, I, I do love a good Lego set, but I want one that wasn't like a complex build. Like maybe one of 
Maybe like a, a, Von, a Von Trier like dogma film, you know what I mean? Like it's really minimalist. The monolith effect. It's so like, boring, yeah. just like so many black. Yeah, I get bored building Lego. Like it always starts well. Like you're like, oh, this is going to be brilliant. And then 15 hours in, you're like, for fuck's sake. It's just, it's too much. You just do it over a number of nights and it becomes quite meditative. Does it? Mm. Meditative. 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 Yeah. meditative. I got I got a um, Home Alone house last year just before Christmas and I spent a, a very pleasant few evenings building the Home Alone house. It has mm. everything. It has the spider, has all the traps, the, the little, you know, paint can on the string. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I took it all apart and I sent it to my sister and she's going to build it this year and it's going to go around. Oh, really? Yeah. So you disassembled it? Yeah. Harsh. <laughs> I don't have room for a giant house to be there all all the time. So. I, I actually, I did have a lot of fun uh, earlier this year building a Last Crusade set, which was the plane. Yes. The plane and India. And I was having difficulty. I lost the instructions, but then I remembered my Charlemagne. Uh, and I was able to and put it together. And looked online. That's right. <laughs> but in Latin, Lego is spelled with an I. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, all right. Hello, Gareth. Um, what other sets did you design apart from the nightclub for your future film? And what what advice would you give to someone getting into set design? Um, don't ask your art department to build a two-story nightclub set. The first <laughs> yeah. So it, it's um, usually when it comes, I, I always try to like annoyingly visualize in my mind's eye what that set's going to look like. Um, when we do the the action choreography and design, we sort of map out the floor space. We usually do it inside like a small studio. And then we map out the floor space and then hope that we can build something that accommodates every little piece of action. So when we did um, we did episode five of Gangs, which was like this sort of big farmhouse shootout that was built specifically to match what we had come up with in the choreography. Mm -hmm. So when we designed the choreography, uh, Chris Webb was one of the teams from, this, from the stunt department. He has the unenviable job of then trying to draw the floor plan out and measure it in terms of meters and everything else so we can give the art department enough detail. Um, it gets very specific because then we're also then saying, oh, uh, we need somebody to get slammed up against this wall, so this needs to be padded, or someone needs to fall through that floor, so that needs to be breakaway. And and so it gets it gets very, very specific. But again, because we've done the action design and the previs, it makes it easy to convey all of that information across to an art department because then they know what shots each element is required for at what point in each scene. Um, the difficulty with the nightclub one for Havoc was that um, I, have this, I had this gag, this it's only in one shot, which is why everybody hated me for it. Um, <laughs> but I really wanted to do it where we wanted to make a portion of the floor on the raised platform glass. So it had to be thick enough and solid enough to cope with the weight of all of us on there as well as the cast. Um, but then, because I'm an absolute dick, um, I wanted the camera to be able to come down below the glass in the middle of the shot as somebody falls on top of it. So we could start off up and then go down below and see his face underneath the glass. So then it had to be weight bearing, but then also had to be able to be removed and then put back in so we could carry on shooting all for the sake of one shot. Um, ordinarily, I should have been talked out of it. <laughs> but I really wanted that shot. Um, so, so, so my poor crew had to figure out how the hell we were going to get that done so it becomes like the first shot of one of the days and then we would go off and shoot something else while they put that piece of glass back in. And it's a whole process and, you know, far better, more smarter minds in terms of engineering, in terms of art department, in terms of the design are, are, are able to figure out 
doing that on 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 what's like a whim from me of like oh it could be cool if we did that shot <laughs> um but uh, i've been very fortunate to have like a great supportive crew and so anytime i've thrown up these weird curveballs they're always trying to scratch their head and figure out how they can make it happen for me so yeah yeah thank you no worries thank you are you, are you like interested in art department stuff yourself yeah because i got into it last year when i was doing a live show with trinity oh um, brilliant and I just really enjoyed doing the set dressing stuff. So I thought I'd ask about that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully all the strikes over knows who can find lots of work in that department. <laughs> Thank it, you. It's so invaluable. Yeah. In your spoiler specials, Chris McQuarrie says that um, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's writing the script on the fly. He's looking at set locations as he's going along. And he's writing the script based on those um, locations. And his films always turn out really well. But then, not to diss Josh Trank, but you hear similar things. You know, they had to do reshoots. Their script wasn't written, and his films, or those films, don't turn out really well. And I love to know what is the difference. How does some people following the same route have good films, and others have bad films? I mean, I feel like talent <laughs> plays a role. And not to say, I mean, Josh Trank has made. You know, Chronicle was good, right? Yeah, very good. That was a very good film. So he does have the ability to do it. He maybe doesn't have the consistency uh, that maybe Chris McCrory has. Um, I think, I, I think my my position, and I keep saying this, like I feel like if you get a good script to start with, that gives you a really good chance of making a good film, right? Yeah. If you have a really strong script and you know what you want to make, that's got to help you logically make a good film. So it feels to me, as an outsider, as someone who has not made films, like that would be the ideal starting point. And that maybe if I were a, you know, a head of a studio, that would be my step one. And I would invest the money at that point where it doesn't cost very much because writers are really cheap compared to everything else in filmmaking. And you can just work the script over and over again until you get something really great. And then you could just go and shoot that. And it seems to me that that would be, give you a good chance of making a good film. Obviously, there are other people who work in very different ways and who work from much more of an improvisational stance. And if they are good at that, then more power to them. And, you know, I love to see some of the films that result from that. Uh, we were just talking in the cab uh, earlier today, or actually in Darren's car, not a cab, um, <laughs> about, you know, about the way that um, Adam McKay made Anchorman and Anchorman 2, you know, where they just threw lines at each other and just then find something in the edit that kind of makes sense, but is hilariously funny. But I just feel like you're giving yourself a better chance of success if you actually do some writing first. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, maybe call me old fashioned. I don't mm. know. <laughs> No, I agree. I think you're absolutely right. I, 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 I'm of the controversial opinion that having a script is good when you start a film. <laughs> you know, I imagine it makes things a lot easier. Yeah, and that's not to say that if somebody doesn't have a, if somebody has a good idea on the day, by all means, obviously do the mm. good idea on the day, but but know what your script is to start with. These stories of especially blockbusters going into production to meet a, a release date, a planned release date with a half finished script, I feel is horrifying. You know, yeah, so. it's. A lesson that Marvel seem to be learning at the moment. So, I don't know how they do it. I, I, every time Macquarie talks to me about their process on these movies, I have a heart attack. <laughs> Never mind. I don't know how he does it, I, and I, I don't think he's doing it as a, an object. He he does a lot of stuff on the spoiler special. If you go back and listen, he says, "This is my film school. This is my you know I'm bequeathing my lessons to you." But he's not doing it to show off. 
This is something that is, you know, on, on Dead Reckoning, he has said repeatedly that Paramount said, we're opening an estate. And he was like, okay, well, that means we have to start scouting tomorrow for me to, in order to get a story together to, to start shooting on this date. And so everything was motivated by that. That's not the way Hollywood should work. I agree entirely. And he would be the first to say it. He won an Oscar for writing a screenplay that was fully finished by the time they started filming The Usual Suspects. So he, but he can, he can work both ways. I just don't think that everyone else yeah. has that skill set. I think Marvel, in a weird way, have, have approached a lot of their movies in the same way. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, your luck runs out. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think they're beginning to see that. And I think they're beginning to recalibrate. And I, 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 we should say as well, like with something that um, not just Macquarie, but also people like Doug Lyman, who've worked with Tom Cruise, have talked about it, is the fact that he he will work and work and work at the script. And at, at, during the filming process, if he comes up with a better idea, he, mm -hmm. he literally was waking Doug Lyman in the middle of the night going, I've had an idea. And they would try and figure mm -hmm. out a way to bring that in if it was better. And if it wasn't better, he would be talked out of it because... He just wants the film to be super good. Um, so, so you know, there is absolutely room for coming up with new stuff. I mean, Pixar as well. Pixar talks about plussing their films. And so they, you know, throughout the process until so late in the day, they will be willing to throw things out and start yeah. over on stuff. I mean, most famously, obviously, basically all the early Pixar movies, they threw out at the 11th hour and remade. Um <laughs> But they had a good idea and they knew what they wanted to, they knew what they wanted, even if they didn't know until the 11th hour. And then they were very clear on it and they still made it come together. Um, but you, you do have to have that, I think. But yeah, you're exactly right. And, and I think sometimes when you're shooting part of a film, you don't know, I mean, Carol will know better than I will, but you don't know if something's going to work until you do it. And then you might think, do you know what, this just isn't working. And this is the problem you have with the writer's strike, where you can't do rewrites in the middle of a film because sometimes it's not a sign that something's wrong it's sometimes a sign that you want to put something right that something isn't working we need to fix it on the fly we can make this better but obviously you need writers to do that so you know fucking pay them which they are so it's good yeah <coughs> Gareth could you work the Macquarie Cruise way I, I, I was getting anxiety just here <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's a specific skill set that I think he has that I definitely don't because I'd go fucking crazy if I didn't know what I was shooting like, like I, I, I have panic moments about this project we might do next year, thinking that, oh, how much time I got to prep something? I know exactly what that film is. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I like your previous, I prefer, you, I prefer to process, have that yeah. process of knowing exactly mm -hmm. what it is. So, because it's, it's also about, it's also about knowing like, what is the psychology of the characters at what point in the film? And if I have no idea whether I'm shooting the middle or the end or the beginning or whatever, like the structure of it, it's like it's that would blow my mind. I don't know how they put those things together. I think it's incredible but i i no it's <laughs> not for it's, me not for it's me. incredible i don't know if you guys if yeah i'm going to use this to plug our own wares but uh, if you subscribe to our spoiler specials there are 12 to 15 hours of chris mcquarrie talking about mission impossible dead reckoning and in total with fallout and rogue nation close to 30 hours of chris mcquarrie talking about his process on his films there are scenes in mission impossible dead reckoning part one he talks about Tom Cruise walking through the airport and because they knew they couldn't get back to the airport that they had one shot at the airport. He basically said, Tom Cruise, okay, walk around the airport and say some lines. Just say this and I'll make it work. Mm. Say, say this line. Why am I saying that line? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you're saying that line, but it sounds good. And I'm going to figure out what the story is later on. Day one of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning part one was the day that Tom Cruise got onto a bike and drove off a cliff. Uh, 
Christopher McQuarrie did not know why he was going off the cliff <laughs> at that point or, <laughs> or where he was going. He figured that later on. And if you've all had a heart attack, just thinking about that, imagine what he is feeling as well. Uh, all right. I think we've got time for two last questions. Um, sorry to mention the Pilot TV podcast. Oh, oh, no. The 20 quid we talked about, I'll give it to you afterwards. I will take that. Um, there's been a lot of talk recently on there around animation versus live action. And I just wondered how you guys felt about action in that space, whether that had inspired any of your motivations or like if you'd ever felt limited by live action when it came to some of your ideas or concepts that you cool. felt could be, yeah. Um, improved by animation? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I, I've, I've always been a massive fan of anime um, since I was a kid. So um, I think it's definitely sort of like had an influence on on the sort of the the movement of camera and, and the sort of like the style and the, some of the posturing that you get in anime. Um, like I grew up watching stuff like Crying Freeman and Wicked City and uh, uh, Ninja Scroll. Um, and, and they had great, great action set pieces in them. Um, and an interesting character beats in them. So it definitely was an influence. Um, I, I've always had this thing of like wondering whether whether there's a way to translate some of the previews we do into animation. So that's always been, I, I've been curious about that lately. I've been playing with the idea of maybe trying to do some R&D on that. So because I think that it could be quite fun. What I wouldn't want it to do is just try to replicate every frame of the previews because I actually quite like it when you get those drop frames. Because the obsession I have with, when it comes to when it comes to the Japanese anime is that um, the energy of movement that they get, where the background is almost just a blur or like a, or like a flash of bright white. Uh, Golgo Thirteen was another big sort of like influence on 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 the action style. It's funny rewatching some of those films. By the way, you watch like Golgo Thirteen, and there's huge influences on on John Woo's The Killer in that film. Um, sometimes there's a setting and style and tone. It's got a real sort of jazzy noir vibe to it. Um, I think most most recently there was a great animated film. It's, it's, it's not like a new film. It came out maybe like, probably like 10, 12 years ago, I think, but I only saw it a couple of months ago. Sword of the Stranger, which was great. Like really like top level action set pieces in, in, in anime. So um, yeah, I think they do kind of go hand in hand. And I think that um, I would love to do something that's sort of set in sort of like I've always wanted to do something set in like feudal Japan now whether that's a live action thing or 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 an anime uh, and I say this fully knowing that we had conversations earlier about um, Blue-Eyed Samurai I think is, is out now and then also I think there's um, Takashi Miike's got a Netflix anime series out now that came out I think the same week as Blue-Eyed Samurai I don't know if it's called Onimusha or if it's the or but it's um, mm. they've taken the likeness of Toshiro Mufune and and, and in an anime directed by Takashi Miike. So it's like, wow, like talk about just like, it's, it feels like it's made for me to watch. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I'd love to play within that space, short answer. And the, the, what's fun about it is the sort of um, the freedom and flexibility then to create wild, crazy action and know that nobody's at risk of getting hurt. Except for the rest of the animators. Yeah. And paper cuts. Yes. Gotta watch out for those. Lots of paper cuts. Lots of paper cuts. All right. Time for one last question. All right. Hi. I was just wondering if you could pick any three people, alive or dead, Please to have dinner with. <laughs> Who would you pick and why? Film related? <laughs> just random. Just just any anyone. Columbo? <laughs> yeah. Jurgen Klopp. 
<laughs> and Ash from Evil Dead 2. <laughs> nice. Do they have to be real people? Or are we talking Shit. characters they, or actors? They can, they can be fictional. Oh. I, I, yeah. Oh, oh, we're changing them. We're changing the parameters. You're oh. folding on the question. And I, I like that. Uh, all right, Hell's Bells. Well, you well, just I think said that, Ash from Evil Dead. So I know, I know. I forced the parameters to change. You see? see. I'm incepting everybody here. Uh, yeah. All right, I'll think of a real answer and you go. I that wasn't my real answer. answer. Oh, God. Um, Jack Lemon, just... Just generally, he seems like a dude. Is that because his name is Lemon and that's useful at a dinner party? It's very useful at a dinner party, but no, he's he's just hilarious. Barry Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> and Keith Food. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, sure. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Bacon, come on. He was right there. Do you know, by the way, that Kevin Bacon celebrated the end of the actor's strike no. by putting up a, vi a video of him dancing in a barn to Footloose. Yeah. I just want your... And incredibly, this it's... isn't on Pornhub. It's on actual <laughs> Instagram. True. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Um, Jack Lemmon. Um, yes, Jack Lemmon. Uh, Terry Pratchett. Um, Terry Pratchett. Good, good. Yeah, answer, that is good. Very um, good. And... <laughs> and, and you. <laughs> no, and <laughs> uh, gotta have a lady. I know I've got to have a lady. It's other, yeah. it's unbalanced. Otherwise, isn't yeah. it? It's embarrassing. Um, I Marilyn Monroe would be really interesting. I'm, I'm obviously I've just been watching some like it hot too much. Is there such a thing? No. Um, but I think she was a, she was a really interesting woman. Like she was really into like deep heavy books. More than I am, so I would enjoy like her. What like the Guinness me. Book of World Records? <laughs> no, like she, like she, brothers Karamazov and stuff like that. She was what? really well read. Yeah. What? <laughs> Just don't worry about it. It's okay. It's all good. All right. Are yeah. they in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, they're brothers who are superpowered brothers. Places probably. Okay. Yeah. Hey, James. John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you spent the last three minutes just going, whose <laughs> name is food? Simon Mayo. Is it going to be? Is it? Is it going to be like the Ham and Bubble sketch on uh, SNL with Michael Bublé? Just yeah. sounds a bit like bubbly. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. walk past Simon Mayo so often. We do actually. We do because we we, we work fight in the same for building. studio space. This is actually true. I mean, we fight every studio. He wins. He, wins. he fucking yeah. wins. He's an he 800 pound gorilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've got John Ham. Yeah, Come John Ham. John Hamm. Kevin Bacon. What would you talk to no, John Ham about, James? What would I talk to John Ham about? Well, probably at this point, the uh, most recent season of the Morning Show, which has ended this week, and we have a spoiler special for it on the Pilot TV <laughs> podcast. For those of you who subscribe to Pilot Plus, it will be up hopefully next week. No. <laughs> no. Stop it. Bad man. Yeah. John Hamm. John Hamm. Who else? Uh, you still haven't got three. No, three. Just John oh Hamm. It's just God. you and John having it's just a me good and old John. Doodo a doodo. Well, I was right. told to pick a woman, so you have to pick a oh, woman too. I do, yes. Who would I I think I would love to have dinner with Carrie Fisher. Because <gasps> Carrie Fisher, apart from oh. being Princess Leia and just being brilliant, was an extraordinary raconteur and also she'd bring Gary with her and he was an absolute legend uh, but she was so funny I went to to Celebration one year before she died obviously uh, and uh, she did this wonderful panel where she just sort of talked and had all of these brilliant sort of anecdotes and she was so captivating and so charismatic and so funny and she literally at one point 
brought a guy up on stage and just snogged him <laughs> full on with tongues. It was like, okay, you kiss Princess Leia, go and sit down. Who did she bring? Uh, just some bloke from the audience just pulled him up, some nerd wearing a Princess Leia t-shirt and just full on smooched him on stage because she was fucking class. <laughs> was it you? It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say anything, but no, no, I got to kiss Gary. <laughs> tongues. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Carrie Fisher, yeah. John Hamm, are yeah. you going to choose one more? Thanos. Thanos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good dinner party right there. Uh, you didn't pick a woman. We split the bill half and half. Perfectly Gareth? balanced as all things should be. Um, I'm going to be really boring and expected and go John Woo. Mm. Um, Scorsese. Oh. Sorry. And Kevin um, Feige. <laughs> I think if those two sat down, this could lead to Scorsese directing Doctor Strange 3. Yeah. Instead of New York, he loves New York. He's like Jesus. And I'd probably... Oh, a, John Carpenter. <gasps> I think the conversation would be really interesting and I wouldn't have to say anything. I'd just mm. listen to the three of them. <laughs> Take notes occasionally, yeah. just on a napkin. John Carpenter, Martin Scorsese, John Wu. Okay. All right, uh, I would go for, Christ, this is difficult. I would go for Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> Chris Hemsworth, yeah. Chris oh, Evans, God. Oh, God, Chris. Jeremy Renner. The deprogramming just Ruffalo, hasn't worked. I'm sorry. Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> Sebastian Stan. It's, it's okay, Chris. Anthony you're, Mackie. You're safe. You're in now. your safe place. Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson. Well, I think that's all the and time we have. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> yeah, the Avengers. I would assemble the Avengers and then have Peter Falk. Peter Falk. Yeah. Genuinely Peter Falk because he's fucking incredible. He had a glass eye. Yeah, at dinner parties, he used to take out the glass eye and pop it into the soup of the person next to him. That's a true story. Uh, so I would do that and I would serve gazpacho because um, I know what it is. Uh, and, uh, yeah, definitely. I would have Downey because, my God, the stories that that man could tell it would be incredible. Um, I'm going to extend it to four people. Because I want to have Sandra Bullock there because I love her. Yeah. And I need to tell her that to her face. <laughs> Got to backtrack that and have Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> so I can ask her who she is <laughs> and how she got in my house. Uh, and then I'm going to have Chris McQuarrie because that, you know. Because you haven't spoken to him enough. I haven't spoken to him enough, but specifically about other stuff. He's one of the greatest raconteurs I've ever heard. I'm not sure that even Robert Downey Jr. would get a word in edgeways at that one, but that would be incredible. Isn't I, that like five people? RD, yeah, I'm bending the rules. I'm changing the parameters for the these question. people. Well, my, gazpacho. Uh, I mean, just gazpacho. Yeah, and then a Nando's. Oh, fair. Apologies for my ignorance, but you know with um, uh, Macquarie, have you done a thing about Way of the Gun? Because that's no, that's the like, one we have. That's like my favorite film of his by far. And, I think, and that's incredible. interesting because it's his least favorite. But <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, seriously. Like he, he, he will talk about how he missed the the target in that film. That he approached it in the wrong way. He doesn't. He's not disowning the film in any way, shape, or form. But for him, it's just a litany of mistakes. And it's it's something we talked about whenever we went into lockdown, and you know we didn't have a lot of interviews. 
So we started pivoting towards retro spoiler specials and reached out to some some you know filmmaking friends and Gareth was gracious enough to do a raid. We haven't done a raid two, by the way. We we, no, we, we talked about it. We've never done it. Um, uh, a raid two, a raid spoiler special. Edgar Wright did Scott Pilgrim, and Macquarie did Jack Reacher. Uh, and we talked about Way of the Gun. We've, we it's been on the to do list. It is on the docket. It will be done at some point. But I think as of Today, he's probably prepping Mission 8 and about to start shooting it. But yeah, my God, that would be amazing. And Downey, the stories that Downey could tell, not just about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but about his troubles, uh, would be incredible. You know, about being arrested and... Well, do you remember when we did MovieCon? You remember MovieCon before? Yeah. Before there was big screen. Oh, God help us. Uh, there was MovieCon and Downey came both days, didn't he? He came for, for Sherlock and Fire. Yeah. And he was chatting to us in the green room. About, he was watching Banged Up Abroad. Did anyone ever watch Banged Up Abroad? <laughs> he was obsessed with Banged Up Abroad. And was just talking about that. I was like, this is so fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> On that bombshell. <laughs> On that note, that is it for this very, very special live podcast uh, from Journalism and Media Week here at Leeds Trinity University. Um, I just want to say thank you to Darren for making this all possible, for inviting us in the first place. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be back in the studio and we'll be joined by... Rachel Segler and Tom Blythe from the new Hunger Games movie, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I want to say. Yes, okay, that's good. That's what that film's called. I didn't do the interviews, so the fact I don't know the name of the film didn't come up. Uh, That's a good thing. And there will be other famous people on that podcast as well. Actors with actual faces and not directors. I'm sick of directors. I'm talking about directing. Gareth, you want to come to the dinner party? Yeah, go on. Okay. (laughs) Seems I'm so welcome. (laughs) Do you like a spacho? You could have the one with Peter Fox eye in it. (laughs) Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom put me off to my for about five years when I was a kid. No. (laughs) Snake surprise. Oh, my God. Um, Slightly problematic, that film, but we move on. Um, And there'll be other people on the podcast as well. But uh, in the meantime, I also want to thank you guys for turning out. You've been an incredible audience. Thank you so much. Give yourselves a round of applause. I want to thank my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara, James Dyer, and our amazing guest, Gareth Evans. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off back to the hotel room now. So cold. So very, very cold. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Good night.